kid. I'm Charles Foster Kane! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. Ding, 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 ding. Well, what is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real, episode 525, and by a strange mathematical coincidence, this is an episode about the 25th anniversary of Casino and Heat, and if you've never heard this podcast before, it's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard, and today I've got two of the Hall of Famers, and when it comes to Wrong Real contributors, we've got Marcus Penn and Rob Cotto, and I don't want to blow too much steam up your ass, but I checked the numbers recently. Marcus is on four of our top ten episodes and Kato's on three of our top ten episodes. So anytime I get the two of y'all in a oh, room together, man. I expect big things. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, so, Congratulations so, so welcome you. back to Wrong Real. So, but I guess that my three episodes feature Marcus. No, because one of them is Once Upon a Time in America. It was just you and I. Oh, so that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, if you haven't heard, check out the John Cazale episode, because I think that's one of our finest moments. That was a good one, yeah. without a doubt. Was that just you and I as well? That was just you and I as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, guys, this is actually a big moment as well because it's the first wrong reel recording since the season of the virus where I've actually got people in my home recording. Wow. I've had people in my home since then, but this is the first recording. So I've almost kind of forgotten like how to do it. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little... We're gonna be, I'm a, we're gonna be uh, rusty. In person, I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little rusty. This is my third trip uh, to Manhattan since March. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, yeah. Damn. Yeah, March, mid, whatever, middle March when I start when I started working from home. Yeah, so whatever, March sixteenth, seventeenth, whatever that day was, and then I went to Manhattan last month to see my friend's movie. Which, damn, I signed an NDA. Wow, I was about to just you about to break your you're about to break your NDA. I'll be tweeting plenty <laughs> about it when 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 it finally comes out. And then the second trip to Manhattan was to see you guys to do this pride this little Hobo secret thing. With yeah, the hike. And then here's number three. Gotcha. Wow. I can't yeah. tell if I'm brave or just ignorant, but I've traveled to and from North Carolina, Virginia, like multiple times, went up and back to Scarsdale a million times on the MTA and used the subway and everything. And so I just wear the mask and I wash the hands. But otherwise, yeah. I go wherever I'm allowed to go. But in Manhattan, apart from making Hobo with y'all and with Bill and Moose and uh, Dion, I get to go to the gym. But that only opened up a couple weeks ago. So I, I'm either here or I'm at the gym. Which is pissing me off because it's a New York City or state like – wide thing yeah or is it just case by case I, i've given I up trying the, to keep track because oh. when things open up i'm just like cool i get to go but anyway the gym in our building yeah it's not open yet so yeah. i've been doing ddp yoga and it's it's this week I, it's finally started to feel like how i used to feel when i would leave the gym so i guess that means it's working very nice well we are all aging gentlemen i'm a little older than y'all but 
I get very sentimental about 1995 because for me, 1995 was my transition from high school to college, which I think is a pivotal moment for anybody's life, no matter what era you live in. That's my transition from middle school to high school. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but it just so happens that we have this colossal double feature. And my impressions and thoughts of these movies has gone through so many evolutions since that initial period where, in, if you'd asked me in 1995 what, how I felt about the two movies, I'd say, oh, well, Casino is one of the best movies Scorsese ever made. It's not on the level of Goodfellas, but it's one of his best. And Heat, at the time, I kind of disregarded. And the older I've gotten, the more I love and appreciate Heat and the more my feelings about Casino have just kind of stayed the same. And I'll be curious to hear how y'all's perspectives have changed, but I think there's so much about Heat that's about people who are older, who are kind of addicted to like the score or addicted to their vocation, where they're almost in the boredom killing business. I think that's why I respond to it more as I get older, because as you get older, your life gets more and more boring unless you make like a huge act of will to make it less so. But am I just uh, rambling, or is this? Am I getting close to something that y'all feel as well? Have your feelings about these movies changed yes. over time? It almost like what you said, although with the heat, maybe more intensely. But regardless, the older I get, I really do love heat more and more. There's the, I mean, I feel like a, there's going to be new listeners always, but I feel like people who know us and know our world within Twitter, within the podcast world, you know my issue with the Val Kilmer thing. We'll get into that later. But regardless of that, Heat just gets better and better. Like, I, I really love that movie. I can't say it's perfect. We'll get into no, why, crazy. but I, I love that this movie. This episode is 525. The last time you and I talked about Michael Mann was on 261 of Ron Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So half the life, quite wow. literally half the lifespan of the podcast ago, we tackled Michael Mann. And in between then and now, I, I met Michael Mann. Nice. Rob was there. Rob was there. Have you seen um, Jericho Mile? I have, of course. I, yeah, I, there's no excuse to not see. I've caught up on so much stuff for obvious reasons these last six six months or whatever. But oh, but I was also saying with Casino, it's just steady the same. Where it's like I have not the, the only bad thing I have to say about it is that like it's not Goodfellas because that's what you know. It's always the comparison, and it's always been that way. Everybody's and it's all, and I think it always that. will. But if for it's a inevitable. movie, same star, same writer, exactly. same director. Yeah. For a movie that I feel is that like my opinion has stayed the same for the last twenty five years. Over the years, I still have a lot to say though about it more and more each year, and for specific reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into later when it comes to Casino, Scorsese, whatever. So, yeah, this is the perfect episode. Well, also, one thing I'm realizing now, I didn't appreciate this double feature at the time because I was 19. And I just thought, oh, of course, it's totally normal to have Michael Mann and Scorsese release movies within a month of each other with these giant casts. And now I realize just what a special period it was yeah. when it came to crime and cinema in the 90s. had a true renaissance. But Mr. Cotto, you've been strangely quiet, and you're a Scorsese <laughs> advocate. So uh, are, 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 you, um, are you stewing in anger over any of the things no, that you're saying? No, no, not at all. I mean, I, I, I vividly remember, like it was yesterday, the three weeks in between the release of Casino and Heat, you know, Casino came out in November twenty second, and 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 he came out on December fifteenth of nineteen ninety five, and I didn't even have to look that up. Like, and were you I, a movie wow. fan or a film buff? I, no, I was already. I was totally casual. Nope, I was. I, I, I was well. I was like just above casual. Like everyone, oh, Marcus likes to watch movies, but it's not like how I am. No, now. I was already there, and wow. this was my and this was my my first. Scorsese in the theater. Oh, I, I had same. seen. I was just gonna say. Same. I had seen. Mine was Cape Fear. Nice. Yeah, see, I didn't. I had home video like the week it came out, but my first, 
well, my first real De Niro in the theater was a Bronx Tale, which is kind of serendipitous for me because I live on the street in which they doubled the Bronx in Astoria. Like that, that's my home. Like that's where I live. So Bronx Tale in the last 10 years has become a very special movie for me. Not to mention that it's just really, truly a great, great movie because it is. But I have a special connection with that movie because of that. That being said, by the time 1995 came around, Pulp Fiction had already happened. Everybody knew that there was, at least for me, not that there was a Scorsese. The only Scorsese Tarantino connection for me was that I loved both their films, that they were both Italians. Right. And 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 for me, well, and exactly. And the ones that the critics made and, and, and it really was only because their names were Paisan. But for me, those were also the movies at that point that had meant the most to me. Um, but I had seen Mean Streets before I had seen Reservoir Dogs. And then I saw Reservoir Dogs. And and yeah, that, and that, that, yeah, that was that a time. whole that was a whole thing. By the time November 1995 had come along, it was. It was the most, and actually, now that I'm thinking like about a, it, a lubed up vagina. Not only was I a lubed up <laughs> vagina, but two weeks before Casino came out, I had done my. It was the first time that I was ever on a film set, and I had actually, I was an extra in Barry Levinson's Sleepers, and that happened two weeks before Casino came out. So if it you was, search enough on on well, various social media, I've tweeted the picture at Rob. Yeah, a no, we'll times, tweet it so out again. I saw I guess that in the theater as well, and I didn't even know yeah. what the subject was. But my friends and I just went on a whim. We were like, I went into that movie. Bl- I went into that movie. Blood. I was like, oh, that's what they're. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. You know, and and not to digress off what we're talking about, but that was one of the. I got picked on when I was in eighth grade over being in that movie because when kids found out, because there was another dude that went with me as an extra. And he went and turned. He went and turned around and told everybody what the content of that movie was. And, every, and he didn't <laughs> oh, get picked. Man. And he didn't get picked to go on set. And I did. Oh, well, and he lying. turned around and he was like, "You know, Rob was the kid that got fucked by Kevin Bacon in the movie on the set." <laughs> oh and, man. And 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 it was it was awful, you know. So but technically, then, but then, he but may then not I wound up wrong. in the movie. Technically, he may not have been wrong. Yeah, no, technically, yeah, no, you know. But <laughs> it was. But when you get eighth graders and homosexuality in the mid nineties and no, thing, you know, yeah, I was if, just gonna. Well, I was just gonna say that this because you were talking about ninety five. This was also a period where movies could last a while. So there was this oh, ninety four and ninety six also overlap. So this was just a big period of movie right. discoveries, like from Pulp Fiction. I remember not Train even spotting. knowing. I just remembered like. He must. I think he's referencing something. I don't know what it is, but I feel like this is something I'm supposed right. to know. And then you had the casino. I, I, I didn't. Heat was late later in the game for me. It just over. I had no. It just went over my head. And then Welcome to the Dollhouse, which starred right. someone, co-star Eric Mabius from our hometown. So we're such a small town. So Welcome to the Dollhouse was just as much an Amherst movie as it was a New Jersey movie. So those like so that period from '94 to '96, there were a lot of important stuff. You know that that. There's a lot of important stuff that came Oh, out. yeah. I mean, between between everything that you just mentioned and Clerks and, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It, it, We're seeing it, the, the full flowering of the American independent movie scene yeah. and in a lot of ways overtaking and surpassing what was going on with the big studios. Yep. But with Casino and Heat, suddenly the studios are like, you know what? We still got something to say and we still are capable of putting our best foot forward. So right. And making these long film like taking our time. Like both of these movies are I'm using air quotes are long. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they they're just three, they're three hour crime sagas. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I never even occurred to me until I was watching an interview with Scorsese about Casino, but he says, You know, this movie 
Well, it's actually, maybe I should phrase it as a question. Do y'all differentiate between story and plot? Because uh, Scorsese says that a casino is a movie with a lot of story, but has no plot. It says a lot of stuff is happening, and it's all really interesting, but it's largely a movie without a central plot line. And it never even occurred to me to look at it that way until he drew attention to it. Well, he's always said that the first movie he ever made with a plot was The Departed. And you could, and when you think of it that way, mm. you know you understand why, you know, on paper, that's his most successful movie. Sure. You know, in terms of box office, in terms of accolades, in terms more box of, office than Wolf of Wall Street because Wolf of Wall Street, uh, well, crushed. but no, but I'm giving. I, I mean, look, that one picture, director, screenplay, editing. I mean, you know, a best picture and a best director. You know, those were the two things that had eluded him, had eluded him from becoming part. Of that club, even though I think it's a badge of honor not to get those those awards. You know, even though he (laughs) had box office success with stuff like Color of Money and Cape Fear and to a point Casino. Yeah. You know, after Casino, he makes Kundun Bringing Out the Dead, no box office. He goes and he does Gangs in New York, and there might be box office on paper, but it's It's not. It's an expensive movie. It's an expensive movie, and every, you know, Harvey Weinstein's still bitching about it in jail. Scorsese didn't do what I wanted him to do. You know, it was on the long side, and you know what? And I'm of the a casino doesn't feel long. Casino whip zips on by. No, but yeah, but there's a lot of problems with gangs in New York, and a lot of it relies in the fact that Harvey Scissorhands was really meddling in on what was going on in that post production. And I think that if they had left Scorsese, and I've said this before on the podcast, I think if they had let Scorsese alone on that movie, that movie would have been the masterpiece that he wanted it to be. I mean, they fired. They they fired Jay Cox, who wrote the original script, or like fired him. Scorsese's best friend, like Scorsese, had to fire his best friend from that movie and hire Steve Zalian, who couldn't do it for you know, who could only work on it for a period of time, and then hired Kenny Lonergan, who only worked on it for a period of time. That's why the movie has three credited writers. But that's really Jay's movie, Jay's screenplay, you know. And then they go and they do The Aviator, which again, big expensive movie, might have a big box office gross, but doesn't really. You know, break even. The Departed's a B movie, and well, that you, brought him everything. I know that you, you'll you'll never forgive it for its ending, but uh, I love The Departed. But let's keep the focus on no, Casino. no, 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 no. Sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but no. So, but for me, Casino and Heat coming out in those three weeks between November and December, you know, were it was it was the most exciting movie go one of the most exciting movie going periods of of my life, and not to forget, we really caught our first glimpse of Heat. Seven or eight months before at the Academy Awards when De Niro and Pacino showed up to present Best Picture. And you see De Niro as Neil McCauley and Al Pacino oh in a black gosh. suit. I was at a and, rural boarding school in rural Virginia. Oh, we, we did not watch the Oscars. You know, so, you know, Best Picture that year, 1994, you know, was a fight between Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction. And yeah. obviously going into it, you knew that Pulp Fiction was never going to win Best Picture. Just because of the way that the rest of the year had had lined up, still, still, I think we know what, what movie won though. Yeah, the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> no, Pulp Fiction won. Oh, no, sure. I mean, it's not. Ma- I mean, Forrest Gump is like a joke, you know. At this point, no, I mean, you totally. have people who have major issues with later period period Tarantino. I'm raising my hand, but it's like, it's like, yeah. At the end of the day, Pulp Fiction. Stood the test of time. It influenced the most, sometimes not the best It's movies, the most but it's influential still... movie of the last 30 years. A thousand percent. Whereas Robert Zemeckis is an industry joke. Doing the tightrope, yeah. tightrope. Doing movie fucking with, witches. You know, yeah. 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 Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but so you catch this glimpse, you know, so I'll never forget watching the Academy Awards that year because there was no 
sight of Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, they didn't have to walk the red carpet. They just came out at the end. They showed up at, you know, 8.30 at night, walked in backstage, showed up to present Best Picture, and that was the first time you really caught the glimpse of this, of this collaboration, which, remember... They were in one movie together before, but they never shared one scene together. That was that, that was the two. big. That was always that the big buildup for Heat. Yeah, and that was the big draw for Heat. But and yeah. of course, most people watching it on Pan and Scan on VHS were had this conspiracy theory that they were not actually on the set at the same time. But it's like try watching the movie Letterbox, you'll see that they were there <laughs> shooting yeah, the scene right. together. But that was one, one of yet another pitfall of the era of Pan and Scan VHS with those those double box that you had to rent from fucking Blockbuster. That, that was going to be my transition. With the rubber band holding it together. For some reason, I thought, I, I knew there was a, oh, De Niro and Pacino are going to be in the movie together, but it went over my head. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw Casino in the theater. I discovered Heat like a year later by my dad renting it. We like watched it as, 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 as a family, as, as we do, like either on Friday or Saturday. And just like you said, it had the like rubber, it was the two VHS tapes with the rubber band. And I remember... As soon as I saw it, I remember, oh, this is like something special, like the sound, because that's the thing. You have to, even then, these are Arab TVs with the backs on them, but the volume came out really great on the, upst- on the TV in my parents' room. And I remember early on, I remember this movie was special. I watched it the next day, and then I would just, this was one of those first, one of the handful of first movies I would re-rent. Gotcha. And I remember thinking how cool it was, because you had the, the two tapes connected. I don't know why I thought that was cool for some reason. It was like that, and Braveheart, and a couple other movies all around that time. Yeah. yeah you go to, go to Blockbuster, and you had the big the big double box. And then, and, and Blockbuster, so I would, whenever Blockbuster was out, I would go to this other video store, Video <laughs> to Go, which is down the street, and I would just re-rent it from different places. Um, and both both were walking distance from, from my house, so, Yeah. It's funny, we'll talk, we'll talk about physical media for a minute. I remember my uncle had Scarface on VHS, and Scarface was a double cassette. Yep. But I, the one thing I remember about Scarface and that double cassette was it, came, it had a slipcase, and each cassette had a separate cover. Interesting. Oh, well, well. And that's what I remember. That's when when I think of Scarface, I don't think of the movie. I think of the slipcase. Nice. But yeah, I mean, there was something. When I think of Scarface from now on, I'm going to think of y'all seeing in Hobo with the High Kicks. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, nice. You're saying Tony Montana. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. um, the movie should be coming out like a, in theory, like a week or two. I don't actually. I don't want to commit to that. The, the movie will be coming out shortly after the release of this podcast, or who knows, right around the same time. But everybody, it'll it all makes sense once the movie comes yeah. out. Cool. Um. And there was also something special about the double cassette idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, double well, even then, like Once the, Upon a Time in America. Even was getting double like tape. double CDs, like Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and things like that. Like at the time. Yeah, but that didn't yeah. come yeah. out together. Oh, they didn't come, they didn't they come didn't. out together. Well, they thing? don't come out as a package. They came out as separate. Two separate albums. And they might have came out as the, they might have came out on the same day, which I'm sure that they did, but. Yeah, no. for us, it, well, it was more like a year later, but yeah, Tupac, uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s second album, Wu-Tang's second album, it, Master P did, it was like the era of the double CD. Um, yeah, I remember Springsteen yeah, did yeah. did that too around the same time with Lucky Town and Human Touch. They were just two separate records, uh, uh, you know, uh. But they and they were released on the same day, yeah. but they weren't, one didn't have anything to do with the other other than the fact that they were released yeah. on the same day. What's... Oh, I'm sorry. Bill Tech might no, no, no. correct me no. on that, but yeah. I, I, I believe that to be true. I was a hell of a handicapper, I can tell you that. I had it down so good that I ran paradise on earth. I had one of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas to run. 
Tangiers. You know, if I did it, I'd have to run on my way. Nobody's gonna interfere with you running the casino, I guarantee it. Vicky, you're a guy. Make a lot of money for us. Or so keep a good eye on it. All right. Look at this place. It's made of money. What do you think about me moving out here? I just gotta tell you, it's no joke out here. You gotta keep a low profile. Right off the bat, they don't like guys like us. Oh, yeah! Oh. You like your money a lot, yes, don't you? Yes, a lot. I want to settle down. I want a family. You got the wrong girl. You'll be set up for the rest of your life. You don't know me. You know me two, three months. They had it all. They ran the show. And it was paradise while it lasted. They found a guy's head in the desert. That's no good. We got a problem. He doesn't listen to me. Maybe she get lost for a while. Take a vacation. Can't make it any clearer, Sam. I would just get out. I tried to do everything for you, even though I knew deep down inside you would bury me. I buried you. You buried yourself. I have to be able to trust you with my life. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? I will go to the FBI. I will go to the police. I am not protecting you anymore. You want me to get out of my own town? You only exist out here because of me. He's a loose cannon. No! Stop it! You realize what you can do? You can get us all killed! You want to get rid of me? Here I am. Go ahead, get rid of me. Just to get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of Casino, what do you see differently now that you didn't see as a youngin'? For me, like, just little things like, I didn't know who Saul Bass was, but now watching, I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a Saul Bass oh, same, title sequence. Same, and His so last I, title sequence. So I appreciate that kind of stuff now that never would have occurred to me at the time. Or just things like the depiction of drug culture with James Woods and Sharon Stone. I hadn't tried cocaine when I first saw the movie. Now I know drug culture, and I'm like, oh, my fucking God. These scenes are so eerie and so yeah. dark and so much yeah. more powerful because I know about drug culture. So what, what, how do you see it now in, in a different light versus when you saw it you know, 25 years ago? For the first time, I have to say, to prepare for this podcast, I watched Casino for the first time in 14 years, I wow. think. Yeah, which is crazy because I watched it a lot when I was in my 20s and, 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 and in my, well, not so much my teens, when I got the DVD when I was in college. So I used to watch it a lot which I am with a lot of movies. Like, I don't need to see this again. I have the DVD or the Blu-ray, but, and I revisited it. And I Do you have a Blu-ray player now? Yeah. Yeah. We got, uh, it, was, it was our housewarming gift last year from, uh, from a friend, from one of my wife's wow. friends. Wow. And one thing I, I, you know, I definitely, you know, picked up on was just the whole, like, color. That I remember early on, the suits, the look, because by that point, up to that point, I had seen lots of Scorsese movies, but again, now realizing it, probably on a television that wasn't even like set up the right way for color. So it's like, you know, I'm used to like Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, all these things that are just kind of like more dark. Like color is not the first thing you think of when you think of like these specific Martin Scorsese films. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, you know, and then I remember. It's the fucking pink suits. Yeah. And then I still remember just how like. There are a couple of moments that seem tedious, but overall, the movie breezes by. Like, I don't 
feel the you know the length of this movie. You, you know what I mean? So and just o- over the years, it's it, it's another film that it's it's interesting because it's so on the outside. Just going back to that color thing, it's so flashy and bright and like it's Robert ha. Richardson and, as opposed to Michael Ballhouse. Like Michael yeah. Ballhouse is one of my all time favorite DPs, but if you want to capture Vegas, yeah. Robert Richardson. Exactly. But at the same time, when you get past that layer, you really just do see great filmmaking, great pacing, great performances like, you know, Scorsese taking his time, you know, at the same time, even though, like I said, I don't, it doesn't feel all so long, but like. No, it feels like 90 yeah. minutes. You have, and you have like it all really these does. killer little short films contained within it. Like the guys who are running the scam who end up getting their hands smashed with a hammer. Yeah. It's a great little short film about how, what happens to people cheating in Vegas. Yeah. Or when the guy comes into Vegas thinking he's like got balls of steel and they end up putting fucking uh, ice picks through his testicles before popping his eye out with a fucking vice. Yeah. Like that's another little short film. And, I, and that's yeah. what I appreciate now. It's like, wow, you get these little vignettes, these little stories within the overall narrative. So while it might not necessarily have a central plot, it has all these killer set pieces. Which it's quietly influential because we talk about, you know, something like Goodfellas, which for I don't reasons I don't need to say, like there's residue of Goodfellas on Casino, but just like whether it be Pulp Fiction, whether it be whatever, like you see, there's other movies where, oh, this is from that. But like when you think Casino, at first, outside of like, you know, like Nas music videos, um, you don't see the direct influence of Goodfellas until you watch it, something random, you know, like Hot Fuzz, where like just what you were saying, like the flashback scenes where like, you know, Peter Jackson is crazy Santa Claus or this thing, like that, the whole pacing, the editing, the cutting of like scenes from Hot Fuzz come right out of Goodfellas, you know what I mean? But I, I'm, I'm sorry, Casino. Whereas like it's 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 its influence is quiet, but when you just think about it for like five minutes, it's like oh that took from Casino, that took from Casino. Where it's like everything, it's always Taxi Driver, it's always Goodfellas, but it's like Casino has its DNA in films for the last 25 years as well. It's not just. Can you Goodfellas. think of any film in the last quarter century that's used multiple voiceover narration? Because for me, oh, voiceover. Malik. Okay, because like when oh, I watch, that will answer yeah. that without it. Without yeah, a like when I watch a movie like Taxi Driver or Clockwork Orange or Full Metal Jacket or Apocalypse Now, like for me, voiceover should always be from one point of view, and for me, mm. it throws me out of the movie when I get it from multiple points of view. And one of my only criticisms of Goodfellas is when his wife comes in with the voiceover. It always, I'm always wondering like. Yeah. Who's Good telling fellas, the story? Well, Goodfellas does the same. And Casino, thing. but Casino has three t- different yeah, people. Yeah. And that for me does throw me off. But Kato, throw to you, like yeah. structurally, how do you react to having multiple points of view telling a story like this? Well, it's funny you mentioned voiceover and the different points of view, and you know. But for me, it's the third voiceover in Casino that Scorsese takes a big risk on, and it's a total win. And it's the Frank Vincent voiceover yep. where he has that one moment, and you know where where you get to have this other point of view about this life and you know what's going to happen because of a certain situation you know i mean not that i want to spoiler alert here but you know that whole you know it's a risk that he continues to take and what's great about casino in looking at scorsese's filmography is that scorsese's working within a style and a convention that he's trying to figure out you know and it really begins you know, with Goodfellas, and it ends with The Wolf of Wall Street. I think those three are like the the excess trilogy. Everybody wants to lump Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman into one thing. I can't do that. But to lump 
his Irishman feels like a mature work, whereas Wolf of Wall Street's like, let's do cocaine and fuck hookers. Right. Well, but and, under a mature lens, yeah. though, there's still a Well, yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm going to quote. But still. Yeah. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio wrong. with a straw in a girl's yeah. butthole. It's like, all right, we are in different terrain here. Yeah, no, the, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and that, and, 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 it, and it's also. Or a candle in his. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, 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 and it's also Scorsese's real last big statement on, well, not his last, but. It's his most overtly violent film, and you tell that by the thing with the vice and you know oh, the, the Nicky yeah. Santoro thing at the end. Like he's even said it. He's like, "How much more violent can I get than that?" Than 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 it's impossible. It's impossible. Like he and and that's why when you Being look buried naked while you're alive and just beaten half to death, you yeah. you can't get you you can't get worse. That is than the that. abyss. Yeah. You know, and which is why that you know I think it took him a long time to re-enter into that. That's why I made country afterwards. He had to go be a Buddhist for a while. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, he's like a guy you know, that that no one wanted to see, yeah. or that even even bringing out the dead, where, where you know it deals with a spirituality aspect that no one went to see either. You know. I, I saw Bring Out the Dead in the theater. I saw Kundun in the theater. I saw them both in yeah. the theater too. I saw Bring Out the Dead two nights in a row, and to me that was, you know, I've always said that that the Scorsese period for me is seventy three to ninety nine, and then hmm. when he goes into his DiCaprio years, it's what they are, and they're there, and it's brought him tremendous success, tremendous money, and it was also, you know, DiCaprio watched these movies growing up. And he picked the director that he wanted to work with. He had that collateral. He yeah, had he that did. clout. And he took Marty. Yeah. You know? And good for him. Because when you think about what Marty was doing up to that point, Apparently, he was, was making a living. That was he Michael was Ovitz making... is doing. Michael Ovitz, who was their agent in the early 2000s. Yeah. Scorsese kept saying he wanted to make gangs in New York. And Michael Ovitz said, I have two words for you. Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. And that was how they got it going. You know, and, and, and really, it's up to that point. I mean, he was just a dude. Who broke even on his movies, and you know, but was lucky enough to work within a system that he was allowed to make the things that he wanted to make. Yeah. So, um, that, that I wanted to say too, going back to that scene, even though you don't want to spoil it. I spoil the way it's a twenty-five-year-old movie. Well, yeah, 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 that is true. Enough. Just you know, the you know when Joe Pesci finally catches it. That was another for people that don't don't remember, because that's another thing that marks. I remember MTV did this like multi-day special on Casino. Yeah. Where it was like one day they focused on Sharon Stone, one day Pesci, one day De Niro. So the buildup was that, oh, this a new Scorsese mob movie. But also, on I, I remember even then, like the undercurrent, the second layer was just like, you know, Frank Vincent finally gets his comeuppance on uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci. That was always, right. I remember that being the talk, like my dad, gets payback, yeah. like little things, because it's like, you know, for those that aren't familiar, you know, Frank Vincent got beat up by Pesci and Raging Bull, and obviously in Goodfellas, and now it's like his turn to kind of... Go get kinda, your fucking shine box. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, so. and, you know, for people who, who don't know, there's a wonderful, beautiful relationship between Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent. I mean, they came up together, they entertained... Pop, pop right. singers, yeah. They, they entertained yeah. in nightclubs together. Yeah. yeah, they were they were the real deal. They were... You know, best friends, and and, yeah, and he's like, the like Argo, real. It's he's like Kaitel the... and Argo. It's, it's a similar. Yeah, you know. but that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to get to, like that you appreciate when you're older, as opposed to when you're a teenager. When you're a teenager, the fact that Don Rickles in this means nothing to you, or the fact that you've got LQ Jones, who's a Peckinpah regular, right. means nothing. And so Joe watching Bob it now, Briggs, yeah, Joe Bob well, fucking then, Briggs. Then I remember because yeah. at that point, because on TNT, and he's incredible. Joe yeah, Bob's incredible. Is. He is. That's when I started. That I, I'm I'm thinking about it now. Like that's when because uh, he had the the drive-in show was on TNT. 
I remember not recognizing Don Rickles and making a big deal about that, but like, oh, that's the guy who has the movie show on TNT. Oh, that's cool. He's in this. Yeah, but when I was watching this a couple weeks ago, I was like, is this fucking Joe Bob from Last Drive? I mean, Joe Bob, he went away for a while and then he came, but now he's like on the, at least in terms of online popularity, like he and, uh, was it Diana Prince, the porn star, Mm -hmm. had this horror, like they have like a corner on the market when it comes to like horror commentary and watch parties and that sort of thing. And I love seeing the two of them work together, but Joe Bob, he, and I think that's, that's not even his name. What's his, his real name is uh, John Bloom, but everybody knows about him as Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, the, and one of the Smothers brothers is is the the senator that you know. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Another cool connection too is one of you know, so comedian Jim Norton, one of his biggest influences. I mean, even the kind of look is is Don, Don Rickles. Rickles. Yeah, yeah. And they, then you know the Irishman comes. And the along. older Jim Norton look, gets, and, the more he looks like. <laughs> exactly. Which is, and it's so funny too because I was saying off record. You know, Jim Norton, for years, when he was the third mic on Opie and Anthony on the glory days, he had this ongoing thing, and Casino would come up regularly on their show, and Heat, because Robert De Niro was is, so, is the only celebrity to ever deny Jim Norton of an autograph and a picture, ever. So he held a grudge, and then for, it's always been an ongoing thing where he does an intentionally bad impression of De Niro and all this stuff, and then he ended up being in a movie with De Niro and the Irishman. Well, and he's later, also but. in The Comedian, too. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. well. That was the whole comedy community. Actually, the whole comedy because uh, Maliscano is in The Irishman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn. Good point. Oh my gosh. Good point. Good point. Good point. Good point. Well, as I was revisiting this movie, what I I guess was caught off guard by was what you'll never see in movies right now, at least in, in this culturally sensitive moment. But the mix of comedy and violence. Like at one point, when Joe Pesci, when he's shaking the diamonds out of his wife's hair. And one last one falls out when she claims that they're all gone. And he slaps her. He smacks her and then kisses her. And it's like a weird affection. It's like slap, kiss, all in one. Or when he does the assassination where he comes up beside this old lady, shoots her like nine times in the side of the head, and then kind of gently lays her head back. I I started cackling like I fucking, was that like a Jerry Seinfeld show or something like that? I was like, I miss this weird mix of sadistic, depraved violence and comedy. Speaking of influence, I mean, I'm not, these aren't the first movies to do it, but the one you remember, it's like, you know, Dark Knight's pencil trick, you know, from Casino when Joe Pesci gets into town and puts the guy's head and like that scene is so like, there's almost like a glam pop art style to just to going back to look at that movie that like when he shoves the guy's head back of his head on the pencil, you kind of get this like there's like little fluids come out, but it's also like it's like, oh, my God. And it kind of makes you laugh, but it's not a joke at the same time. So it's, well, it's weird, like and it's also like the thing with the head in the vice where I mean, yeah, where, you yeah. know, the dude's eye pops out of his head like you yeah. see that one cut of his eye almost bulging and then they cut away to the profile of him and you see the you see some some fluid fly and out. Apparently he put it in there not even really intending to use it but this is one thing you appreciate when you're older. He knew he was probably going to get in trouble for the violence so he put that scene in there in case the MPAA said you got to cut something. He was going to let that be the sacrificial Smart. lamb Smart. so they could keep the Joe Pesci scene with him and his brother getting beaten to death at the end but the MPAA was like yeah just trim it a bit and you can keep both and he's like all right, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because he, the, Spike Lee has told this story recently that when Scorsese was working on, on cutting that scene, he called Spike up and said, hey, Spike, come over. I want to show you something. And showed him the uncut scene of this eye like bulging out of his head. And it's just because they have the same kind of sense of humor. Well, that's another great transition because Clockers, which right. Spike Lee directed, uh, you know, you know, in order for him to, you know, not make cl- casino had to have happened. So, so he kind of essentially passed off clockers 
And I mean that in a good way yeah, to Spike Lee. And he stayed on as a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, his name is on it, like in the opening credits. Right. And then, you know, right down to like Harvey Keitel co-starring in it. And, you know, John Turturro. John Turturro's been in a couple of Scorsese films, you know, but had a been co- in color you know, money, by, by that point. Yeah. And, yeah, and Raging Bull. So as an like extra, a, yeah. yeah. Blink, you miss yeah. him, yeah. but he's wow. there. I didn't yeah. know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah, go yeah, back and look at it now. Yeah, yeah. in the club it's like, scene. It's like yeah. Rob Cotto yeah. and Sleepers. And hey, Vin- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vincent Gallo has a, Vincent Gallo. Has a cameo in Goodfellas. And Todd Solons. Wow. Yeah. That I did not know. Yeah, so both of them, yeah. So, um, and now, yeah. and now, oh, and Clockers came out two months, came out that September. No, but it was, so it was two months before. Clockers was the first Spike Lee movie I saw in the theater. Malcolm X, I we we rented. I we didn't see. I saw Crooklyn. I didn't see. Yeah, I I saw Crooklyn. I saw Crooklyn later, like when I was in college. I saw Crooklyn. So as a kid, you didn't see Malcolm X in the theater? Not not in the theater. No. Interesting. I did not. Yeah, I know. Wow. Thinking back on it, it's like what was? I mean, I remember I was of age. I was four when the Million Man March came. You know, get on the when the Million Man March happened. My dad. With the guy who called me before we started recording, my godfather, they went together. I was 14 at the time. I assumed I was going to go with him. He was just like, no. And I was like, what? No, just not knowing my dad, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't see Malcolm X in the theater 10 times. And I wasn't and forced minutes. to go to the Million Man March. But yeah, this, that's a good point. It's yeah. No, you're right in thinking like that. If I was in the sixth grade around that time. We just for some reason. That's, never, that's young. Yeah. To be fair, that's young for a big yeah, ass like, I mean, four hour epic. And wow, also, I was 11 when it yeah. came out. Yeah, I was 11. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I remember Home I like Alone. an 11 year old to see like Schindler's List. Like that's, it's, a, it's, sure. it's, a, it's a big saga. Well, but at home it was free range. I mean, like I, by the time Malcolm X came out, I had seen Taxi Driver a bunch you of times. You had seen JFK at that point. I had <laughs> definitely seen JFK. <laughs> I saw JFK, uh, Clockwork Orange. I'd seen a bunch. Of my dad wasn't I as Clockwork restrictive. Orange until I was in like eighth grade. Because my dad watched a lot, and I think you know, jump it real quick to Heat. Like a big part of why, and and Will Casino too is why I am how I was with movies. I would just commit to one to two movies a week, watch them nonstop, and then I wouldn't need to watch them for a while. And that's kind of how my dad was. So that's how going back to what I was saying, like how I, I rented Heat so much. When I was, you know, 15, I watched it so much. I didn't even watch Heat again until maybe like my sophomore year of college. And it's just, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that well, later. Yeah, no, I, Quick controversial question for both of y'all, since I know you're both Scorsese fans and Taxi Driver fans. If we can all agree that Taxi Driver's first tier Scorsese, and I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I think controversial would. question I wouldn't. Is but. Casino second tier Scorsese? No. 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 I, 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 Marcus, Marcus thinks no. Um, no. Although it depends if we're talking a top five. What's in the then, What's in the first tier of score, or Scorsese? Uh, that's not a fair question for me. I, I I'll, I'll give it a I shot. I'll give it a shot. It's a I, very I, I, fair I, question. That I, you're a Scorsese fan because if anybody's gonna be able to I declare it. what it is, well, well, maybe, well, I mean, go. well you th- I, so like you know, Taxi Driver. Some would argue Mean Streets, but for me, like Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino is one of his defining movies. Honestly, it, it, I think like. Kind of like our argument in this. It's like when you put it's like, sure, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. It's not that, but it's not. Yeah, the more I think about it, it's definitely top tier. And I say this as someone who like I love Color of Money, like the non Scorsese. Color of Money is definitely second tier. I adore Color it of Money. Is. I've seen it countless it is. times, it is. but it's second tier yeah. Scorsese. Yeah, but, no, Casino is absolutely, at, Casino is, is, is definitely. And so is The Irishman because I've been watching that movie quite a bit recently. I, I don't watch Movies that I really like, I don't watch. I've, I've tried not to, oh, with age. I don't watch them a second, third, or fourth time, with a few exceptions, like a post Never Slux or something like that. But I've watched The Irishman so many times, and I'm just like, I really love that. I love that movie so much. A year later, well, yeah, well, I, I I've so, had I've yeah. had a very emotional of experience course. with The Irishman just because 
of where I was a year ago and where we all were a year ago. I mean, we all saw that. We're coming off a good year of movies. And and we're coming off a shitty year of movies. Wow, Tam wasn't my wife. I wasn't even married yet. We we went on a date night to go see... to see that movie. Yeah, in the afternoon. I saw you before I went into his oh, master class. Oh, you met up class. with a, Oh, that's but the right. Thing you is, ran into us. But yeah. the thing is, is like, you know, so th- for me, we'll talk about The Irishman for a moment. You know, a year ago, the world was different. And I am so thankful that I had that opportunity to be there with them that day at the New York Film Festival yeah, when they were all good there. Good fun. You know, yeah, it is. was. And it was, De Niro proved once again he's boring in interviews, and Pacino is delightful. And Scorsese's <laughs> delightful. Like I remember as a kid watching Arsenio Hall with my brother, and Robert De Niro came on, and the only thing I'd seen with him at that point was Midnight Run. And, oh, we, wow. and my brother and I were so excited because we thought he was so funny in that. We're like he's so boring, we couldn't believe how boring he was. And the same thing at New York Film Festival, I hear that, yeah, he was. Often as boring as cardboard and yeah. Pacino came to life and of course Scorsese at, at age 80 so like blah, 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 talking a mile a minute and so you ever yeah. see Robert De Niro do a talk show um, appearance on the Chevy Chase show promotion of the Bronx Tale if you no, could find that online it's, it's wild sounds very Chevy Chase, early 90s it's the most early 90s sounding thing when Chevy Chase had a, a talk show on that's for like yeah. 10 minutes literally and he did an entire episode on on Bronx Tale um, so so back to the you know 2019 well not even that back to this first tier second tier Scorsese how many films are in the first tier and how many films that, are in the well, second that's what tier I was getting at. is there a third tier no, you could put as many yeah. oh, there's definitely a third there's tier there's definitely a third tier Scorsese but, but you could put as many in the first tier as you like yeah but I, but I feel like, like for me first tier is it's only four movies and Casino's one of them I, I, I see, and you didn't even mention Raging Bull yeah, I was gonna say oh, which, shit. it's Whoops, Mean Street well, Taxi five. Driver Raging Bull Goodfellas Casino. Yeah. For me, that's the first. That's tier. mine. I include Casino. That's mine. But I would be willing to listen. I think of the first tier, it's in last place of the first yeah, tier. Yeah, if there's a Mount Rushmore, it's getting cut off, but there's yeah. a top five casino, is it? You know what? I just, you know, I mean, for, I mean, it's difficult for me. Because, if someone asked me, uh, Rob, because you're the, the movies mean just so much to but me the second in tier so many so ways. Juicy. I mean, for me, that second tier would include King of Comedy, and it includes Color of Money, and it includes Last Waltz, and like all these. I almost want to separate King of Comedy and, and Color. Yeah, See, but, now but, this is going to be a whole podcast doing a, a, a Scorsese but, but, tier, but, but, so we shouldn't then, get to. But then you're, but then you're also like dismissing the Last Temptation of Christ, which I know isn't your. Your type I would say of movie. I dismiss it. I just yeah. place it in the third tier. Yeah. Oh <laughs> but, damn! I was going to put it in second. But it's, oh my but it, wow! I put all the religious but movies. It's not third tier for me. For me. For me. I can't religious dif- movie, but I feel you. I, I, you know, I, I, for me, I can't differentiate. And yeah, I've discussed it ad nauseum whenever I can. But not silence it, is going to be the movie that people rediscover when he dies. Is silence first tier? Yes. Uh, oh. What? Okay. Yes, without without question. <laughs> this, this should have been Rob's the scene we had. A, this should have been the scene yeah. we had in Hobo. No, 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 it really no, 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 should no. have. It Listen, really. again. But I, but when it comes to when if Rob Cotta makes a statement like that, yeah, I'll make this uncontrollable face, but I can't deny because it's like I'm someone who I was just relating it to when it comes to like Malik or Denis. What the what I place like song to song, which is maybe one of the most forgettable movies to the rest of the world. Whereas people think of like Thin Red Line and Days of Heaven, so I can't. So when when you're yeah, when but, that's your guy, I can't really argue. But too, it's not too much. even about it like being my guy. It's it. about my guy. But my point is, you know, Silence is a movie where Scorsese. It was a movie that Scorsese had in his head for thirty years, and he's totally reaching out of his comfort zone. And everything about Scorsese is completely and totally different in that picture as opposed to the hallmarks of Casino and Goodfellas and Mean Streets. 
that we all love. Namely, it's the Rolling Stones. But it's mm. but all, all kidding aside. Or what's, the, what's the um the opera from the opening credits that uh that great or Cavalleria Rusticana? The, the Saint Matthew Passion. Oh the, yeah, that it means just awe inspiring. So everybody's thinking, oh, he's you know. the rock and roll guy. Yeah, but he's also like into like opera. no, no, he's a music or guy. Or he has like Michelle Legrand score from Contempt. Like, 44-year-old me versus 19-year-old me, I hadn't seen Contempt yet. Right, so but you don't know got, that drop. But you've got music from Contempt, which is one of his favorite movies about movies, in here. So my, I think my opinion of Casino now is higher than it was at 19. It's just a more kind of nuanced ap- appreciation of the flick. And he does that in... Um, he does that in The Irishman, too. I mean, he there's needle drops from... You know, from from like Grisby and and a bunch of other things, but and I will. Yeah, I guess I will. They they refer to it as Grisby. I don't know it any other way. I, I saw it at the New Art in L.A. and it was the full French title. But when people it's say Grisby, I'm like, what the fuck's Grisby? Jeremy cool. Workman. We did our episode about 1954. He says, what about Grisby? I was like, what the fuck's Grisby? Because I'd always That's seen it with an awesome just, movie. With, with the full French title. But yeah, I agree. It's killer. Yeah, and um, watch that, and now know that he he told. De Niro for the Irishman that he should really base his character off of Jean Gabin in that pick in that movie. So, um, but I want to talk about I want to talk about music because that's a that's a big that's yeah, a big that's thing a, yeah, about yeah. Casino. I everybody always likes to poke fun at Scorsese for the Rolling Stones and Gimme Shelter and how you know Shine a Light's the only movie that they don't have Gimme Shelter in, <laughs> that Gimme Shelter's in. But my probably top tier needle drop is. The seven minutes that he spends with "Can't You Hear Me Knocking," I mean, he spends that entire seven minutes of that song from that amazing Keith Richards riff all the way through that jam, and it's the centerpiece of of yeah. the movie. It was one of and he's he's in his early fifties when he does this. He's directing like a very young man, but he's got the experience of an older man, but he still has the excitement of a younger person, which I think is what I find so refreshing about Casino. It's got the energy and propulsion of a much younger director. And then, and then you, you again, you go back to Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, you take that a step further there. I mean, all of those elements from Casino and Goodfellas, you know, are in the Wolf of we Wall Street. We haven't really given a shout to Nicholas Pelleggi yet, or Pelleggi, or however you yeah, say no, his name. Pelleggi, but, yeah. but I love the idea that he was working on this book, and it wasn't finished when they started making the movie, right. but that all the doors were open to him. when, it, As soon as Robert De Niro's cast, suddenly everybody in Vegas wanted to talk to him, and that allowed him... But are you? I guess Godfather was being written while it was being developed as a movie, but I kind of missed the days where Hollywood had such reverence for the written word where you could kind of develop a book and a movie simultaneously. That seems to be from a bygone era now. Well, I think that, well, Godfather had already been a bestseller. It hadn't come out. They, no, when they started the, making the movie. When they optioned it. Yeah, but they, had, they started making the movie before the book had been released to the public. They started, they started yeah. they, they, putting it together. Yeah. And then what but they, Coppola didn't come on until the book was a bestseller. But what they also would do back then, the studio, to make it an instant bestseller, the studio would go out and buy a million copies. Right. So they go, oh, international bestseller. But it's like, yeah, but y'all, y'all, y'all own all the copies. No, right, 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 right. No, they did that with Love Story, too. Yeah, but, that was, but once again, just going back to this idea of Hollywood appreciating books and the written word, I feel like when you're talking about Scorsese's relationship with Pelleggi between Goodfellas and this, it truly feels like like a time capsule. And right. when was the last time you heard about Hollywood treating a, a book of you know on this level? Maybe Game of yeah. Thrones. Well, I but, would argue but, they totally, but they ruined that. Yeah, yeah they, they ruined that. Yeah. So anyway, I just I just appreciate the fact that Hollywood once upon a time seemed to value books, whereas now they seem to value them less than ever. 
Yeah, no, that's true. But they also mm-hmm. seem to value movies, directors, actors, and everything else. You know, less than. Do you, you as know. a, I don't know how old you are, but do you regard the mid '90s now as kind of like a a golden age because of your age at the time? Or do you think the movies were that strong in the mid '90s? I think I think the movies were that strong in the mid '90s. I think that there's yeah. that there's periods of you know contemporary cinema that are as strong as those movies but no for me the golden age in the movies is the 70s you know and maybe even but then again i mean there's golden ages every every decade and every year and when we look back on I, 2019 I, I, I agree. I agree. we're going to you know we might have poo-pooed something but i mean look at the movies that came out no, last 2019 year 2019 was a crazy the, the, year but my hope is that youngins will start regarding the 90s the yeah. way i used to regard the 70s in the 90s where like wow in the 90s had like Abel Ferrara and Tarantino and Scorsese and all these people doing all this Michael Mann doing this like these edgy kick-ass crime thrillers and I think maybe they'll look upon the 90s the way that some people might look upon film noir in the 40s because even now even though I was there I still like the first two years of the early autism we got In Mood for Love we got Mulholland Drive we got The Piano Teacher like because you think it's like it's because 2000 something still seems so close but it's like no man like 18, 19 almost 20 years years ago it's like, yeah, that was a while ago. It's totally time to consider these movies classics, just like we in the 90s we did with movies from the early 80s or 70s. Yeah. When sa- I first saw Clockwork Orange, it was 20 years old. And so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When I first and saw it, already, it had its reputation long even before then. So, you know. Well, and it's funny. Like, the first time I saw something like Dog Day Afternoon, it was 16 years old. And now I look at Mayo's it. It 20, yeah. Yeah. And now mm. it's 45 years old. And I'm looking, and if I think about movies that are 16 years old now, I'm going to, from 2004, you know, or even like 2007, which for me is one of the last overall great years of movies that we've had. And that's 13 years ago. But think of the movies that came out 13 years ago that we're still talking about to this day. There Will Be Blood, No Country for All Men, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I think more people are talking about that movie now than they did when it came out. It's not fair! You can't do that! Best scene in the movie. (laughs) Best scene in the movie, for me at least. It's intense. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you got this casino top tier thing in my head. You know, and it's bothering no, it's me. Because, it is, though, but it, it, but it I, you is. You know, honestly, no, no, it doesn't no, it matter what, what the number it, it is top tier. No, it is top tier, but it, I mean, they're working at the height of their powers. You know, they're, you know, it's the last time that De Niro and him would work together for almost 25 years. That's I mean, another, not if, oh, that's, a, not yeah, if that's you, another thing. Not if you works. count like the odd American Express commercial no, they did it's together. The of, or, it's the end of an era that goes from Mean Streets you through know, Casino. And, yeah. even, and even if you look at. You know, Joe Pesci does that movie and maybe does maybe two or three other movies. Yeah, like Weapon 4. Well, that um, was the last one. He does yeah. Gone Fishing, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And then that's and then that's it. And then For he doesn't do and then he doesn't do a movie till he does that awesome cameo in The Good Shepherd, which is the only thing good about The Good Shepherd as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And then that's that's and then that Taylor then Hackford movie. I was just gonna say, oh, I was just trying to, like we don't need to even mention the the boxer movie that he did him and Helen Mirren. Which what a way! I, I actually what a wasted cast. A great Alone. cast. Just a cast for something that you know. Yeah, you but, know. Yeah. For whatever reason, here's Joe Pesci trying to like avoid that whole typecast, and he goes and makes a you know a movie with Helen Mirren. Yeah. And he's a gangster, and he's trying to. He's like, no wonder. Yeah. You know, and even the Gotti movie too. He was supposed to be in that, not you know. Which, he should have done Horse and Pete, so he could tell that whole story about. I know. Imagine pussy. him in that character, oh, though. 
And that story that Al- probably, Alan Alda delivers it perfectly, but that is a Joe Pesci story. It's like you're, you're kissing. Like, but anyway, I, I can't remember yeah. the exact line of dialogue, but he frowns upon oral sex. And that's yeah. why. And that's what makes. And Marcus and I are actually talking about the last. Is time that a we generational thing, or is that an Italian thing? It's. Uh, it's a little bit of both. It's also a Caribbean thing, like hardcore, just like it. The yeah. Because in the first season of Sopranos, they say, oh, if you're willing to suck on a pussy, you might be willing to suck on anything. Like, you might be well, gay. And the I girl's used to, like, I used to watch, that didn't make yeah. any kind of sense. And, but it's yeah. like, no, it's yeah. the attitude that a lot of them But it, it's an Italian thing, it, it, and it's very much a, a Caribbean thing. And, and you know, but Marcus just and I... Just to set the record straight, I adore oral I was sex. just yeah. giving and say, yeah, I'm not Caribbean or Italian. I'll just, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm Italian and Puerto Rican, so I guess my Puerto Rican side takes over. I was going to say, because that's the, op- <laughs> the opposite thing about... So she's that, Puerto anyway. Rican? Yeah. Your wife's a Bigfoot, Gus. Let's go. All right. Uh, we, we got some cat's deli sandwiches that we need to yeah. eat, so we're going to press cool. pause real quick, stuff our faces. We'll be right back for more casino and especially important heat. I am never going back. Then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life? The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. This regular type life, that your life? My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because her real father's this large type asshole. I got a wife. We're passing each other on the downslope of a marriage, my third. Because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. Guy told me one time. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. Now, if you're on me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a, a marriage? Well, that's an interesting point. What are you, a monk? I have a woman. What do you tell her? I tell her I'm a salesman. So then if you spot me coming around that corner, you're just gonna walk out on this woman? Not say goodbye? That's the discipline. That's pretty vacant, no? Yeah, it is what it is. It's that or we both better go do something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. I don't much want to either. Neither do I. All right, we are back. We've been stuffing our faces with cats, drinking scotch, feeling good, feeling strong. We're properly lubed up for a little discussion of Michael Mann's Heat, a movie that I must admit, even though, oh, by all means, yeah, we also, we're busting out the Lafroig. 
I wish I could claim that when I first saw Heat that I was like, this is the coolest ever. But, man, I used to talk so much shit about Heat back in college. Like, man, it's so boring. They're hanging out with their fucking girlfriends. And it's just fucking dumb. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I used to talk so much trash. I thought it was so boring. And now that I'm wiser and more sophisticated, et cetera, I do appreciate those scenes now. Like, uh, every single scene, especially the yeah. scenes with Ashley Judd, who is just next level hot Beautiful. in this movie in ways that I can't even properly put into words, but it, she just, she's astonishing in this, but man, I just fucking love this movie now. And I think what I really enjoy now is just this idea of a team versus a team where they're like mirror images of each other, exactly. where they have so much mutual respect, mutual fascination, where if not for the fact they're on different sides of the law, these guys would all just be one big crew. They like to go to the same restaurants. They like to live the exact same lifestyles. They love the chase. They love the hunt. They love the score. And I just find that riveting and the, the attention, the detail, the technical detail, all that stuff is stuff that just has kind of lost in a 19 year old. But Michael Mann obviously loves all that technical detail because he based a lot of the story on real life. So now seasoned warriors, seasoned veterans of the world of movie appreciation, how do y'all look on heat in 2020? Oh, well, I think I was saying this off record, but like, oh no, it was the intro when I was just saying like, this movie just gets better and better, you know? Every year, like the older I get, and I know it's over the years, it's certain scenes have become like memeable, but at the end of the day, this movie is still a movie that like gets the respect it's deserved. And you know, we'll get into like the the one main flaw that really bugs me to this day and and always will. It's just such it, 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 this movie to me was one of the another one of those early movies where I started to uh discover style tone and appreciate you know similarities of films by the same filmmaker and just and just how like i started to appreciate movies because i said earlier this was a movie i remember i was like 14 when it was starting to get all this you know press and attention it was just like oh they're gonna be these two icons pacino and de niro are gonna be in the scene you know a movie together at the same time whereas because you know in godfather they weren't but other than that, it went over my head. I think, you know, going back to earlier, I was probably just in casino land. Uh, I didn't even discover this movie until well, like a year later, where like my dad came home, he rented it, and we watched it like as a family. And it was such a, I remember then feeling like how special this movie was. Because I remember as a kid, I think I was 15 when I finally saw it, like this movie's long, but not in a bad way. I just remember like this movie's still going, like I liked it. It just reinforces why like blue is is, is my favorite color. I yeah. mean, I can't steel. not think of heat. Steel, steel, blue, steel, gray. blue. I can't not yeah. think of that color. Like the, I remember one of the first images, and it's my favorite image to this day, is De Niro coming home, putting his gun down on the table, and standing by the window. Which you know, I later, I then I had no idea. I was like a fifteen year old kid. I, I I didn't know about art. It was inspired by the Al Alex Colville painting, um, which is essentially the same the same setup. So. Yeah, it was the genesis for a lot of stuff in in, 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 in in my movie brain and then How long until you saw LA Takedown? Way later. I'm talking like I didn't see it until you and I did our Michael Mann episode, which oh, I'd as, see, yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned before was two sixty one. But also people who want to know the Scorsese app that we did with the Kado and Marcus a while back was three thirty, so all wow. this stuff is wow. ancient history. That's yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But um I'm sorry, so wait, what, what were you asking me? You were saying what? Uh, when you saw L.A. Takedown. Uh, I, I, well, I didn't actually see Or when did you make it. the connection between L.A. Takedown and Heat? Well, that's the thing. In college, I learned about it. I learned that it was a thing that existed. When you just went to, like, crappy, broken movie sites, which I don't mean that as an Geo insulting City. way. Because back then, exactly. Like, people who had those kind of film sites were, like, so dedicated to deal with. I don't even want to imagine what they had to deal with as far as HTML and uploading and this and that. 
And then I remember um, just thinking like, wow. Oh, sorry. Just getting a little. Oh, I'm yeah, serving right. Jameson and Lafroy, so I didn't I'm want people to be sorry. shy because the bottle's unopened. So yeah. I was opening it just to break the seal yeah. so no oh, one would be sorry. shy. Damn, sorry. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I, what I was saying earlier, too, is like I used to rent this movie a lot. I remember the double VHS, how cool it was, and I would rent it from various different video stores. It was out over here. I would go to this other one and just re-rent it. And then, yeah, o- over the years, it just kind of like there's even just like emotional beautifully emotional scenes like just like it's it's also the kind of movie where i know it so well but i could have it on as my background movie just when you get home yeah you want to pl- have a movie on it's just you know but let me not hog the the, the entire well, before you go any further oh, though sorry don't leave me hanging what the fuck's going on with val kilmer's elbow in that weird scene where his elbow looks totally deformed oh <laughs> i learned this on a i learned this on some dvd commentary track and some people know it but to this day i just i learned to literally to this day some people don't know it distracts me every time i see the movie years like, before going on with his elbow? oh i'm glad you brought this up years before when val kilmer filmed uh, the doors there was some scene where he had to essentially stage dive and he jumped and he wasn't caught correctly and he fell a certain way on his elbow and instead of getting the surgery to like remove it it, he it just remained that way but i didn't obviously like the internet wasn't what it like in 1996 (laughs) so i remember what i picked up on in that movie was you know he had a gambling problem and I compl- when I first saw the movie, I completely forgot. Like, he had had an argument with Ashley Judd, and he went out, and that's why he didn't go home. I thought the way he woke up, the way he got up off the floor, he looked like he had been roughed up. So I remember when I was, like, a kid, I was 15, I was like, oh, the bookies must have roughed him up because he owed money. And then, you know, later on, I, I, I learned, I, I was able to put all the pieces together. But that's where my mind was, you know, at, at, at 15. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a stunt accident for the doors. So that's why his elbow looks like that. Chicago, where do you stand on Heat 2020 versus 1995? Well, you know, coming off of Casino, you, you, it, for me and, and, and friends of mine that I had that, that saw both of them at the same time, it was always a comparison between the two. Which one was better, Casino or Heat? And a lot of that had to do with just, you know, one of the main stars and the fact that it was a three-hour epic, that they were both three-hour epics. Uh, I would always vote for Casino. For me, it was just a no-brainer. And in a way, um, it's 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 still the the preference. But I feel now, looking back on it 25 years later, I took it for granted just what was going on. And I think a lot of people really did take it for granted. Yeah, it got good reviews. It had decent box office. But I don't think that, that people really really appreciated it for the shows how good for what it was. were if people were willing to take heat for granted that that was like the norm whereas now people would come in their pants if a movie like that came well out. and i think that sure. there was a lot of anticipation you know for them to share a scene together and it doesn't happen until an hour and 35 minutes into the movie and which is obviously intentional and well right cool but i but 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 if we're talking to a normal movie going audience you know, that's not you know what they thought that they were signing up for. They thought they were going to see Lethal Weapon where there were buddies sharing. Did they? Sh- sharing not scenes. that they, no, but they. I think that people expected I mean, there to be a think. Yeah. be a bit of a give and take. I was part of that camp where I was like, "What the fuck?" And, you know. Yeah, so right. I, I, I and, oh, okay. You know, right. and right. I also right. think, and I also think that a lot of people felt that that the wrong person got it at the end. And, and upon initial viewing, I think that you could look at it that way. But then as you rediscover this movie and you rediscover the nuances of it, you realize that, you know, 
that Neil McCauley breaks his cardinal rule. Yeah. He yeah, smelled he the heat exactly. around the corner, and he knew it. And that's why the ending works. Yeah, the samurai breaks his code. You know? Yeah, and, over stupid, stupid pride. And and for me, and, I'm, and, I, and I know Marcus agrees with me, or at least will agree with me, you know, some of De Niro's best acting is in that moment where, where he, he makes that decision that he's going to turn around and go and kill Wayne Grow. Well, that's what comes up a lot because everyone talks you know, about his scene in Goodfellas, which is another movie. De Niro is part of that movie, but it's always Pesci, Leota. Like, it's never that, that that's a De Niro performance that doesn't get brought up. But recently over the years, it's like his stare, De Niro's stare at the bar in Goodfellas. Oh, with the, 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 the sunshine of your yeah. love scene. And yeah. then I'm just like, well, wait a minute. It's like, this is the greatest. It's like, well, if we're going to go with greatest. I don't know, but I don't know what greatest is, but that actor that you're saying did the greatest such and such, I think did a better job in Heat in terms of like staring, zoning out, acting with their face. It's just like, well, and like, I gotta take, I gotta go, I gotta take care of something, kind of. You know what I mean? Well, like, and and again, I mean, there's also always we'll been, make time, and there's also always been that debate between who's better, De Niro or Pacino, and I think a lot of that falls because at 19, I'd say De Niro. I think now I like Pacino's performance more. No, no, I meant in general. Oh, just in and career? In just in just career-wise. Take, like, if you were to stack their best movies against their best movies? That's, their- some, that, that's, a, that's its own podcast, because like there's there, there was like the great period, and then there was like a period where they're both kind of playing caricatures of themselves to some degree, no, no offense, and now they're like good. It's like like there's a... Well, right, That takes sure. so much time. But I mean, yeah. when... But yeah. I mean, when As a teenager, I said De Niro, now I say Pacino. I, I like Pacino's body of work probably more because of things like Carlito's Way, but... Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, See, I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. I, well, for me, it's different because I've not to sound pretentious or, or lofty or whatever, but like I've seen Al on stage, and I've seen him on stage a number of times, and there's just such a different dynamic when you see an actor do his thing in a theater than when you see him in in a movie. You know, and they, for I me, think it's also a friendliness to him. Like a, he smiles more. It's just it's a more oh, yeah, didn't, yeah. it's a more inviting yeah, yeah. screen That's persona, sure. and That's that true. makes you naturally just feel like he's the warmer person. But then you, but then you know, but you know, there's a Pacino was more selective than Robert De Niro was, but there's so much more to draw from in a De Niro body of work that was, was, that yeah. that and and there's a lot of it that doesn't get attention. Someone the other day on Twitter was talking about, I need some De Niro movies to recommend. What two Robert De Niro movies would you recommend? 1900. <laughs> See, uh. not, not me. I mean, I understand people really, you know, love that movie, but it's an obscure outside choice that a lot of people have not well, seen. Well, no, but see, but I go, <laughs> but I go a little, little deeper than that. I told, I told this person, Jackknife and mm. Night in the City. Night in the City, not a great movie. It's a remake of a far superior film. But the persona, the New York, just De Niro having fun is great to watch. And Jackknife is really, you know, a nice companion piece to um, to The Deer Hunter, which features yeah, probably my favorite Ed Harris performance. I think that's his top tier Ed Harris best work. Better than Creepshow when he's doing that great movie. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, but then you look. But again, you know, De Niro doing so many things with his eyes. You know, did I just feel like, you know, Pacino has a lot of volatility and a lot of flair. I think De Niro's a, lot of a tougher actor. I mean, that that bit in the yeah. diner when they're pissed at Wayne Gray, like, 
this guy's so fucked there. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. and with 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 Marcus and I's favorite Tom Sizemore moment where he just Yeah, he just leans over and looks at the guy and the guy just Well, Michael Mann in an interview was talking about that bit and he said that the actors went through so much training for this movie that the, by the time they got to that moment, Tom Sizemore his confidence had bloomed. He had this aura of menace where he didn't need to be this over the top tough guy, crazy person because if you're incredibly terrifying and deadly, a very understated gesture is all you need yeah. and it communicates yeah. volumes. But Michael Mann attributes that to just the exhaustive training that all these actors went through. Cause he, like whether you're talking thief or heat, he makes his actors learn how to do all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right down to how to hold a gun right down to how to like this specific kind of gun would give you this much of a recoil. So remember to, yeah. Oh yeah. Credit, yeah. credit to, to Val Kilmer in that, in the, in the bank shootout scene, the way that he holds and reloads that gun changing clips, yeah. and changing the clip is both of them. How they're both s- synchronized when they're shooting this way, they have to switch, and then they both turn and aim their guns another way, like in, in a right. cool synchronized way. But in the way, way. that the man... tactical way, they're retreating because they're not yep. trying to win; they're trying to escape. Yeah, and the cops can only shoot a round at a time because they're not, they're worried about innocent bystanders. But the bad guys, they can just go berserk. It's yeah. such a great study in contrast. Yeah. And the way that Michael Mann and Dante Spinati capture it with just this, you're just right behind the shoulder. And Val Kilmer goes down. He does his thing. He comes up. And it's like no time has passed. But yet it's, it's I also have to say this intense. is intense. Going back to how, you know, uh, earlier on in the episode, we were talking about casinos, talking about like, you know, like marking time. This was like a time like Val Kilmer was the shit. Yeah, he had third people, billing. Because that's what people forget about that. He was fucking Batman yeah. six months earlier yep. than Heat. Yeah, and then he had like and the And he's on the poster. At, and I remember that he's on the poster. His name is billed with the with three. Them. Like that's... Yeah. that's Well, De Niro and Pacino know, share a title card. And then he's at the bottom. Yeah, it's like and one, then two, he and then gets the, the third. He gets the second yeah. title they card. They don't put Danny Trejo on there. They don't, they don't, no, they don't no. put West Duty on there. It's funny how you... I was just thinking about Danny Trejo and how that's the first time I remember ever seeing Danny Trejo. He's so goddamn good. And he also... So the whole Eddie Bunker thing, because Eddie Bunker was attached to Heat, and that's John Voight's whole look is based on yeah. Eddie Bunker. Who but was Mr. De- but De- Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Yes. And a real-life crook. Yes. Yes. And wrote, wrote, yes. wrote that book that that's, everybody loved. Yeah. Damn. that's right. And then yeah, but, 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 De- but De- De- Danny Trejo, given his, like, his past, even though he's just like the super supporting character in the movie, he was like, at the, still at that time, kind of an authentic he was a bank you know, robber after he, yeah. and he was a boxer while in jail. So he he was pulled aside by the makers of of the film and got some other little authentic authentic things, you know. Authentic. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Authenticity. <laughs> that's, that's the booze yeah. talking. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit. That's the catch yeah, yeah. when, when you start making up words. But Danny oh. Trejo, man, I think I totally disregarded him when I was nineteen. But now they're debating whether or not they're going to stay in town and do this job and whether or not it's worth the risk. And it's a really <laughs> pregnant, weighty moment. And they look at him. He's like, he's like yeah. yeah, sure. And it just makes yeah, me fuck it. Why pee. not? Yeah, it makes me pee my pants. Like he's so yeah. got. And because it was shortly after this, you start seeing him explode in things like From Dust Till Dawn, and yeah. he became like a celebrity. That was a little before, no? no From Dust Till Dawn was ninety. That's a year later. It is. It is. Was it fall of ninety six? Oh my gosh! Yeah. You're right. But then, and then, you know, he does have. This is a movie. This is he is one of those movies where every. Fr- there's a certain podcast I was. I'm, I joke with him now that I'm a little insulted. I wasn't invited on. Uh, that's all dedicated to heat, but he know he I, I he knows. Um, but he ended up he's such a supporting character, but then he has this like heartfelt moment too, where because that's kind of the because that's the big thing about this movie. What James was saying earlier about the whole mirrored thing, where it's like yeah we have our bad guys, but there's like a tenderness and a love and a niceness 
to them as well. And then, you know, the scene where Danny Trejo dies, like his reasoning was just like, no, I love my wife. Like they had Anna. They were going to kill Anna. And it's just whole thing. The only like, real kill unre- me, unredeemable you know? bad guy or irredeemable. What's the word? Too much alcohol. But yeah. Wangro, everybody else yeah. has yeah. redeemable qualities. Yeah, that's true. Well, how do you what compare you, uh, this Wayne Grove versus the Xander Berkeley Wayne Grove? Since you and I got to talk to Xander, that's Berkeley another thing that ago. like I get to die, yeah. you know, with with that, you know, off the older the the Michael Mann uh, ep- ep- episode. No, I think the '95 Wayne Grove is, is 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 on point. He's very just menacing and gross. But that's the thing. I almost don't like to compare because L.A. Takedown Heat is what he wanted L.A. Takedown to be. It was this big, huge thing. Where you know, L.A. Takedown's like L.A. Takedown feels like a pilot. Hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. But it's a good pilot. It's a really fun yeah. pilot. And it's a dynamite script. And the script is largely the same. It just, they got to decompress it and add all these great yeah. character beats and all this like incredible. There really is so much going characters. on. And essentially everything, for the most part, gets tied up. They even go so far. It's like, you know, I remember like when you, I try to disassociate myself from the like, when you think about Dennis Haysbert's character, it's just like, this guy gets a little story too. Like, Jesus, but nothing feels like it's too much but it, there's so much you know? great incredible payoff where when he's first introduced you're like why are we investing so much time that's exactly in this like, relationship what is he gonna do and yeah. then when you see him accept the gig and he's like oh you know I'm, I'm, I'm cool like i'm ready to go and then the fact that he dies on the mission they're like wow like inside this giant la crime saga between these two guys you have this incredibly moving story and then salt on a wound he had another moving part where his wife learns about it on the television yeah. who was so like She's only, but prior to that scene, she's only in one other, ah, uh, two. She drops him off at work, but she's in the, the, the main scene they have together. She's like, I'm proud of you. I know you can do it. Like, she wants him to go straight. So it's like, she's heartbroken because she clearly loves him. And she's also, it's like, damn it, you went back to that life that I didn't want you to go to. And it's just very like. I always felt yeah. like that's one of the master strokes of the movie. Yeah. Is, is, is that whole thing. Yeah. I, it occurred to me a few years ago when I was watching, I was like, well, this is. This is this is screenwriting that should be taught in yeah. you know in in, 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 in film school and uh, even and, and you know Bud Court's whole thing <laughs> too like they don't even make a big deal about like you're just like you know it's like we don't follow Dennis Haysbert from getting out of prison getting his stuff getting in the car getting settled going and you to don't work. need to and then with Bud Court you don't get into this we're gonna he's just like hey th- this much of your paychecks goes to me if you do this I'll just report you for you know drunk or high about stealing blah 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 and it's just like. Bam. And then the camera goes right to Dennis Haysbert and he's just like, he's like, damn, I can't. There's nothing I can do. I'm trapped. And that's it. Like, there's no big setup to what's going to happen to him. It just happens and it's like, whoa. So, And, you know, just to backpedal on Danny Trejo, the moment where he has to call in to, to De Niro and, yeah. and tell him that, you know, he's being tailed. I, I can't do it verbatim, but the way that Danny Trejo tells De Niro, or rather, tells Neil to, to call him. Yeah. And the way that he reads the number back to him makes you remember the phone number. It, it, there's just something right. about the right. cadence, about how they deliver this 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 bit of information. And it, at the same time, you feel you feel like you're 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 you're, you're part of the crew. It yeah. feels very authentic, and there's a lot of that in you know in, in in the piece. Yeah, yeah. I guess if I were to compare these two movies. Casino is the big operatic, colorful spectacle, and this is, in spite of the shootouts, the more quiet, grounded, kind yeah. of contemplative film. Yeah, they're very like an incredible study in contrast, but and just in terms of comparing and like contrasting the styles and temperaments 
of the directors of the two movies because Scorsese, if anything, is probably the most operatic director of the last, uh, at least American director of the last 30, 40 years. And Michael Mann's not trying to replicate that. He's going in a completely different direction where it's, this is all basically just from the oral tradition of like cops and robbers in Chicago and all these stories that he yeah. was fascinated by. And this, this is also, <clears throat> to me, not that, I've, I mean, come on, I love Thief, but this is, this was the start, the official, you found the pieces, heat. This is my style, because you notice every other movie, even a movie that doesn't even require style, like The Insider, still has it. It all finally came from heat. Like, he was playing with, I mean, there's, there's touches of Manhunter, Thief, but then it's like, Last of the Mohicans is totally, it's not, but it is. It, it's not the same kind of visual style, so there's a lot of... Um, yeah, the, the visual the, style continues there, on, you know. you know, through it's almost like he found his footing yeah. and his confidence. Yes. Yeah. You know, from yeah. this point on. I mean, because yeah. of course, how how can you not? You get to direct De Niro and Pacino yeah. in an incredible scene. Yeah. Like even though And then he gets Pacino again rehearsal. with his next they, film. They just dove right in. I think they chose like take seven, but they wanted to keep it fresh. No rehearsal. There's two cameras. Yeah, they just dove right in. Well, question for Mr. Cato, is this Pacino's not peak as an actor, but peak as a movie star? Because as you're watching he he just got a, a, a facelift for the movie. He's still able to run and able to run quickly. He's got this energy and dynamism, the way he moves mm. through a scene and the way the camera will follow him. But as I'm watching it there's an energy and a, like a virility to his performance that I don't know if he ever had again. Obviously, he's still got great work to come, but is this, is this his, his last hoorah as a great leading man movie star, like a Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, like icon? Because as I was watching it again the other day, I couldn't believe just how much charisma he had as a star, irrespective of his talents as an actor. I don't know. I mean, I really like Insomnia. I think yeah. that I think that was, that, that was cool. Flick. I think that he, similar. It's a little heat esque. Yeah, like, I mean, he definitely runs Nolan, around. Though, and Insomnia, he's tired the whole movie, and this, he's fucking jacked. That is true. I just want to get mixed up with that bitch. Cause she got a great ass, and you got your head all the way up it. Jesus. When I think of asses. Woman's ass. Something comes out of me. <laughs> you know, but Jack the whole time. But yeah. he does he does do some running in Insomnia. I mean he fall I mean it might be a stunt guy, but I mean I don't know. But in this that. you can tell he's he's running. No, he, he's yeah. running. Yeah. yeah. He's like early mid fifties when he did this, but yeah. he's still got yeah, that. Yeah, he's fifty five. He's still got that energy to him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had that energy, you know, a few years before in Carlito's way. Yeah. I mean, but you can believe this, this is a cop who stays up all goddamn night following these guys. Yeah, because that's another right. interesting thing about. <coughs> and he, and he sorry, loves. Excuse it. me. Yeah, he has this energy, but he, you know, in parts, not all the time, but in a good amount of parts, he also looks weathered, which is feels just looking at him feels so exhausting because it's like, I know you're tired, you're trying to fight off that wall, like you have this energy, but like, well, it all comes, you know, the, you know when. When he thinks it's over at first, it's like, I'm going to go to the motel and I'm going to sleep for a week. And it's like, you really, feel, by the time he says that, even though there's more shit to be done, it's not over. You feel that. Like, you really, really feel the like, yeah, I, I yeah, you, you, I think yeah. you need to rest. But I don't know. If, I mean, like, there's something with the moment where he realizes they've been made and he's smiling and he's kind of turning okay, in a circle. Okay, motherfucker. And there's like this showmanship and it's Big, it's like you are a fucking star. Like he's obviously always been a great actor, but yeah. it's a great star moment. And yeah. I just feel so much joy while watching those moments where he's he's taking the spotlight and center stage and just having fun. Yeah, yeah. I guess I. 
it's I'm 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 having a hard time thinking of an example. I mean, like I, I mean, I do go back. You know, I will say the insomnia thing again. But then even like there's these moments in the insider where he's right. yeah, so no, on is, point. Is, yeah. He's got some monologues on in the insider that are better than most speeches that have you know yeah. like better than like Braveheart speeches and shit. Like he's yeah. he's incredible. So no, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no to your your idea of this, but I I. I think like I don't heat, know. <clears throat> for me, Heat was the start of kind of the end. But there, I mean, the '90s were far, we were only in, we we're literally in the mid '90s. Like I said, yeah, like the Insider might have been his actual last real hurrah. I know some people say Devil's Advocate, but that's a little that movie is ridiculous. I, it, I've seen it's it many a little times too cartoony, it, but for it's me. yeah, you can't. Or not a little. What am I saying? I'm trying to be nice. You cannot begin to mention Devil's Advocate alongside. Anything like Heat or Insider, yeah. yeah. But yeah. In, and then and then you know, for, for all intents and purposes, when you see The Irishman and you watch the first 45, 50 minutes of The Irishman, and then Al Pacino shows up, you're like, it takes yeah! it takes on a whole other different life. I mean, yeah. it, that movie star thing that you're talking about totally happens in The Irishman. Yeah, you're and 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 you're and and you know going into the movie that. You know, yes, that he's in this, but then when he shows up, you're like, oh, my God, I forgot he was even in this. This is unbelievable. So I don't know if that's a good example of what you're trying to say, but, I mean. Well, his character in The Irishman, though, is not going to, like, I don't see him, like, stand up all night coming home, like, at 7 in the morning and, like, fucking his wife. Whereas the character here, he does. No, no, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm racking my brain trying to think of. I mean, of, I love the bit when he's talking about. He's like, I'm a, 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 on the tail end of a marriage, my third. But like, you can tell, like, he has a, a very active personal life in spite of the fact that his life is chaos because he stays up all goddamn night yeah. chasing these maniacs around. And so I just, once again, I like his character more and more the more I revisit this movie. And it's, it's a cliche to say it, but the movie grows with each time, it, each viewing. It's like fucking Beetlejuice. And it keeps getting better yeah. every time I see it. But yeah. like, that's, that's how, good, that's that's how I feel Michael about it. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. All right, Tom I'm Noonan. I know you're a Tom Noonan guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was their second. And I guess up to now, it's their last collaboration, their, their final collaboration, at least, you know, for the time being. But. Yeah, it was a nice carryover from Manhunter. For those of you listening, I mean, over the years. you got to pick with them, right? A couple years the, ago? I did, and it's, it's again. At the maybe, quad, right? Yeah, where Scurry showed up. We we had, me and Bill hadn't even planned to, like, go together. We just happened to both be there. And it's one of maybe the two selfies I've taken with, like, a celebrity that's, like, taller than me. It's Charles Oakley is noticeably. Tom Noonan, you don't get it from the picture, but Tom Noonan, is, he's, got a, he's, he's got, like, an inch or two on me. But, um... Yeah, for those of you listening, it doesn't have as much views as, as it should, but it's an interview that shows the not nice side of Michael Mann, where Tom Noonan, he's, it's some random kind of like speech he's given at, you know, at some university, and he's been asked about what it was like to work with Michael Mann, and he gives this like, I'm not going to just say what it is, it, it, it's a five minute video, but if you just go to YouTube and search Tom Noonan, Michael Mann, he talks about uh, this thing that happened on the set of Manhunter, but um, I definitely would have, lo- obviously, I it's... So that's another thing about this movie. It's like I love Michael Mann. I love Tom Noonan. Even in he's just in one scene. But um, there's so many things about this movie that I just love so much. Even going back to you made a point like or I don't know if it was Robert James like oh he's in this too. Like this is a movie that I watched so much in high school. I don't remember watching it once in college. And then when I moved to Manhattan, I was like oh I don't have this on DVD. I bought it. So watched it probably for the first time in maybe nine years or something. And then I was like oh they're in this movie. Oh they're in this movie. It's just very like. Um, 
Yeah, I could just go on and on. Yeah, my one criticism is that Amy, like, Amy Brenneman does a, uh-huh. a kind of a hick accent. It's like you don't need to do that. Yeah. Well, that was like, her thing. She yeah. was from out of town. She yeah. she was she was new new, but it does, new it's to a, town. It's a yeah. shitty. She could have just. There's so many. You're right. She could have just whatever accent. Like you could have been she's from so like cute in the movie you know, though. Whatever. And, yeah. she, I liked her more in <clears throat> Your Friends and Neighbors. Huh. <laughs> but we even like huh. that moment at the, when they meet. Then when they when she notices him in the bookstore yeah. and then they talk and when he first outright rejects her. Yeah. Like you really feel bad for her. Like I've always like I watch that and I go. Mm. But. Her whole thing, yeah, yeah, like sorry, I bothered you. She like lowers her yeah, head, and then but good. De Niro's he he looks he actually looks around real. He's just like, you know, all right, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he does. It's another little subtle thing in that movie. Well, just she was like, hired because you know, she hated the script. She said, "I think this movie is immoral and it's depraved, and I, I don't want to be associated with it." Well, that's the reason you need to do it because you're right. the one innocent yeah. person in the movie. Yeah, and yeah. she remains that way to the to the very end. Great scene. That that's a that I had this too. thing like if, yeah when like they, that well, that, when that he was walks away from her. That and of course when <clears throat> Ashley Judd chips off Val Kilmer, those were my dad's yeah. two fate favorite scenes. So badass. So, and like, that scene of might all be the my badass favorite. kick-ass moments in this. And people do a lot of cool badass things. There's one simple gesture she makes with her fingers that she just wipes across, and you see Val Kilmer's whole face change. Yeah, it's the face. Yeah, it's, it's so yeah. cool. And he had to, and it's like he had to do a. I'm not sure. Look, actors act, so I'm not trying to give him like extra credit, but to be this guy who's like. He's still wounded. He he's fighting off all this all this pain. So Val Kilmer has to like keep that up, and he has to keep up the persona of a guy who's trying to get away. He's trying not to die. And oh shit, my spirit's crushed. It's like so like that's one of those little things again where it's not about someone giving this grand speech with no cuts or just being loud. It's little things like that yeah, in this visual movie storytelling. That, that also yeah that, that makes me appreciate filmmaking, acting, and and heat all you know. Cato. I know you in the in the past have been very defensive of Pacino's. Uh, what started with this movie with the the kind of the, the big over the top performances, and what's missing from this is the fact that he may or may not be either as he describes chipping cocaine, taking pills, but essentially he's like a, he's a speed freak, upper freak, coke freak, whatever. Which is his justification for I hear she's got a great ass and your head's all up in it and so yeah. on and so forth. Where do you stand on Pacino's more uh, flamboyant moments? Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, they work even if you don't know that he's snorting lines. Well, you don't. Well, you don't know in the movie. You don't know. You yeah. just you, think you don't. Yeah, he's you just, just think that yeah. he's drinking a lot of coffee. And yeah. Hank Azaria is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. completely yeah. caught off yeah. guard. No, I mean, look, I, I buy into it. You know, I mean, I, I I remember always thinking the thing about you know the, you know. You know, you could ball my wife if she wants you to, but what you can't do is watch my television set. It's just yeah. like, eh, I didn't really like that. But other than that, yeah. like, no. I mean, look, I think that I think it's the peak, you know, but in a way, I also think that he also, you know, after that, it bottoms out. You know, you, you don't want to continue to see him. Like where be, does it be where, that way? Where does it become self parody? What movie do you think? Devil's Advocate. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Because it's when, right after. I think when Devil's Advocate came out, it changed the way people regarded Heat. They, the, oh, he's doing the screaming thing. But it, the screaming thing, I guess it maybe started with uh, Son of a Woman, but. Yeah, the, well, well, no. like, yeah that, 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 that was the genesis of it. Well, no, 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 no. The screaming thing 
really begins with Serpico. He screams a lot in Serpico, and he screams a lot in Dog Day Afternoon, and he screams a lot in Injustice for All at the end, and he screams a lot in Scarface, and he screams a lot in Dick Tracy. You know what I think the point was? Those roles required it, whereas like, it was the start of like, you're screaming when you don't need to. Like, I've always, all, everything you named, it made sense why he was screaming. I think that's what it yeah, comes but down it, to. Yeah, but it, but, it but it became a trademark in a way. Yeah, you expected yeah, sure. him to scream and no one screams like him. I mean, yeah. but I saw him. I mean, so he wins the Oscar in 92, 93 for Scent of a Woman. Yeah. Carlito's Way comes out that following November. That same November, I get to see him in Salome. Nice. Uh, and oh, it, uh, it, it was after it, it's Broadway run. He did it in Stanford, Connecticut, the Stanford. Didn't he Center direct the movie where Jessica Chastain does yes. the, the striptease for him? But except, except. The performance that I saw, he was in full regalia. So he was dressed like King Herod. And he has moments where, you know, he screams in that play and you see the spit fly out of his mouth. And it's almost like you expect to see that. I've always expected to I see him Jamie scream. Foxx bit about Al Pacino. Right. The where he t- we're gonna, he's he's a juicy lipped per- yeah, this yeah. Whole thing about yeah, yeah. Jamie Foxx has a good imitation of him in any given Sunday yeah. when he's kind of like, I want you to pretend you're out there and your yeah. mama's ringing you the dinner bell. You know what? That's bell. another yeah. example that very, of the movie star. Was, yeah. Of him oh, with the speech. That, with the that, speech. That, that was another masterstroke post like the beginning of the end because everyone goes. It's like there's a lot of other parts, but it's that speech that I think you know a lot of people but no i i think that i think that yeah no this might be the end of it like this is this is the peak of of the screaming but i've always associated that with him it's it, you know and i think that's part i think that's also part of the reason why I mean, it's why De so much like people in carly as well like you think you're big time you're gonna fucking die big time right or like you but, know like and, scarface and, you're fucking with me you're fucking with the best yeah. and so people just they love quoting this stuff because they get to scream and, yeah. and 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 that's when denaro gets the edge on who's better because denaro doesn't need to scream to get his point across it's all internal And not to say that Al can't do the internal work, of course. Because if you've seen stuff like, like you know, Angels in America, or or Godfather, it's a quiet performance, or 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 Godfather Two, when when Diane Keaton reveals to him that you know she had the abortion, or you know you don't know Jack. There's a lot of internal stuff going on on there. But to me, you know, you know, no one, no one is a better actor than Robert De Niro when it comes down to the to the eye thing. You yeah, know, oh, there's of just, course. you know, and, and to me, that's I mean, you're you're in that moment. Yeah. You're truly, you know, it's the whole sense memory thing. It's the whole method thing. It's you're there. All right. So final question for y'all. Sure. If y'all could have a moment with yourselves at age 14, 15, when these movies are coming out and you could say before your young version of is going into the movies, you know what? You're going to have a great time. But pay attention to this scene when it comes up. Like, what would you tell your younger selves now in terms of helping someone gain some insight that you, like, wisdom you have now that you lacked at that time? Uh, the little moments, because in, in Heat. You want both movies or, or, or yeah, so the Heat since what we're on, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it, it would definitely be, I mean, if I choose Heat between the two, and then I also, yeah, like, watch all the little moments, all the little gestures, not even just, because even Ashley Judd, with the hand that, that like that's the camera it, it, it actually is essentially a major gesture it's all the little stuff it, it's like the importance of like tom sizemore leaning over and going like you know what i'm saying so yeah i would just tell myself to watch the the little moments you know just as much as the big ones 
I mean, I'd probably be. Just keep paying attention to De Niro's eyes. Because mm. I, it still reveals itself every time. You know, something new, just every time you watch that movie, there's a, a different nuance to that performance that you, you, you've missed before. And if I had to have this conversation about Casino with my younger self, it would be more uh, pay attention to the camera. And and pay attention to the cuts because mm. those swish mm. pans in Casino, mm. bar yeah. none, some of Marty and Thelma's best work. Or the introduction of Sharon Stone, you're like, whoa! I'm so glad you brought that up. That's because, a movie. That's a movie star. Because moment. we didn't yeah. talk about her at all. I sure. did. I talked about drug culture. Oh, but you yeah, didn't talk about Sharon Stone. No, he did. He said James Woods intro. No, he yeah, said but you, Sharon Stone. We didn't, wait, wait, wait. But we didn't talk about the <laughs> ginger. We didn't talk about ginger. We didn't talk. Well, we but we also yeah. didn't it's talk career, about it's her career high. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it's I mean, her. I, but you know, also it's important. And Scorsese like, would hold her hand yeah. during certain scenes, like during the night when she gets married and she's on the phone crying, yeah. just out of frame. He Scorsese's, would be sitting on the Scorsese's ground, holding her hand yeah. to give her support. And she's, you know, and up to, and I think this role was important because she became a movie star, obviously after Basic Instinct. But this is a movie that I feel like she won because, like, this was. I, I, I meant to say this too. Well, I kind of said it. This was still the era where, like, one movie could kind of span two years, like the cultural importance of it. Yeah. So, like, movie she stayed was, in the theater. You know, yeah. she well after Basic Instinct, she hosted Saturday Night Live, and then like so, so much of the humor and skits were Basic Instinct esque, and it was just a Sli- whole thing. And sliver you know? coming gone. Sliver all. Yeah, she had made <laughs> all these like section. So all these like sexy movies, and this was like a movie where sure she's sexy in this movie, and the she's wanted, a year but after? it's bigger. 95. Sliver is 93. When's, when's the specialist? Oh, right. 94. Okay. 94. Yeah, so she's like the sex object. And in this movie, in some aspects, she is that, but so much more. Oh, yeah. And she really gunned for the role. Like, it was... Well, Scorsese blew her off or couldn't meet her a few times. She got pissed, and then he apparently went and hunted her down, found her where she was eating dinner. It's like, I'm so sorry. I really want you for this part. Yeah, she didn't believe it. Yeah. You know, but she had also gone up for Raging Bull. She had also gone up to play Vicky Lamada. Yeah. And I remember, she's in Stardust Memories. She's the, the first thing you yeah, see she, in Stardust she, Memories. She, she was around. And there's the 12 years in between Stardust Memories and Basic Instinct. Before so Basic Instinct, she almost she hung it up and went to law school. She's like, you know, why am I doing this bullshit? Like, but anyway, Total Recall. Why, basic why am I Steven Seagal's wife in Above, Above the Law? The law. <laughs> <laughs> or in like King Solomon's Minds, too. Like, yeah. that girl, Total Recall, too. She, she held it down. No, I, you know, I think recall. Total Recall. Kicking Arnold in the nuts. I mean, yeah. that scene is. Yeah. You know what, though? <laughs> I think that that's when, I mean, I think people really discovered but her. But that's the kind of role, well, that's the kind of performance that commands, and it you know, plays to her strengths. And yeah, she's in, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's it, it's and a great. It's it a, took it's that a great same movie. director to put her in another movie. Yeah. You know, basic Arnold's girlfriend's to, like that was your wife. She's a real bitch. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Mm. But if I were to go back and tell my 19 year old self what to do about these, first and foremost, I'd say see them in the theater, don't watch them on VHS. But I'd also say smoke just. A hair less marijuana, and mm. you will enjoy your movies more. I, I used to go into movies so comatose, fucked up, that I, I might as well just watch like a like a gray screen. Like it didn't even matter. I was just I would nah. I would cripple myself mm. before God. I was thinking, oh, I need to like make the experience as intense as humanly possible. Sure. I might just say, drink a shot of espresso, take one hit, and enjoy the movie. But don't just get completely, totally obliterated before watching each and every movie. But I spent a couple of years just in a deep, deep, deep haze. See, for oh. me, I've, I I don't like going to the to the movies stoned uh, in the initial viewing. You know, second viewing, though, fair game. So yeah. for me, it's always, you know, I that's why I enjoy going to Revival so much because I take that opportunity to to go get, 
you know, nicely lifted and go and really immerse yourself. And yeah, I mean, the first time I saw Last Waltz, I was baked as hell, but I was also ripping lines. So I was in a very rare, special state. And a friend of mine and I, who well, it was like being there. We were we were high five. We're like, this is fucking awesome. We were (laughs) losing our shit. I saw Last Waltz in Union Square on the re-release almost 20 years ago at this point, and oh, wow. and 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 I was in the front row, and that felt like being there. I was stone cold sober, yeah. but that's just one of those experiences too. If yeah. you could see that on the big screen, I've seen I it once be, in the big screen. A bunch of my relatives nothing in, town like in LA, it. so I took them down to the Santa Monica Ford. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but uh, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, we saw it in the theater. It was it was cool, but yeah, it's, for me, it's one of the, maybe the great concert movie but it all depends on one's taste in music but i know you and i have some overlap in our in our musical taste yeah yeah no 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 and it, it, it's definitely it's definitely it you know well guys this has been a very very fun episode any final words on the the legacy of these two movies their stylistic or historical import how they've affected you is in the, the floor is yours for for closing comments yeah i'll just say as far as like with, with heat goes you know that, that's one of the few movies it's a world that i still to this day want to live in uh, you know i i really do as, on, as, on, as, on which side as a supporting character no just as an observer i don't want to be on i don't want to be on the cops i want to i just want to be because they all go eat at the same restaurants know, apparently that's so. true and i, I want to <laughs> hang out at de niro's at, at well at neil's house i want to just like be out in la at night Something in, tells in me Tom parts, Sizemore you know. throws the better cookouts. But, of course he yeah. does. Oh, yeah. Just judging by, I mean, you get a, a brief glimpse into his house. Yeah. His family seems warm, so. whereas De Niro's yeah. life seems very lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, even as, as far as like, you know, I dabble in making music, like the music in Heat, not even, you know, not even necessarily the music, but just the atmosphere that is Heat, which is more than just sound influences a lot of the way that I make music and, and listen to music. Just, I mean, the, the, the final Moby song music, with Moby. I, yeah, there the you go. Moby music, there you the go. way it crescendos at the exactly. end, that final exactly. shot, I'm exactly. getting goosebumps just talking about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's maybe Moby's finest hour when it comes to music in cinema. And, you know, also as a little tidbit, you know, I find it hard to believe, it's been said numerous times that it's like, Michael Mann isn't big on Jean-Pierre Melville. He wasn't big on, like, you know, Le Cirque Le Rouge and Le Samurai. But it's like, I'm just going to say this. I have to do my Pinland Empire thing. It's like literally the final moments of Le Cirque Le Rouge are the final moments of Heat, where you have this cop chasing down, you know, Alan Delon as De Niro. And then even after, you know, he shoots him, you know, there's this kind of, like, the movie ends, the camera's on the cop's face in Le Cirque Le Rouge. I'm sorry, his name is escaping me. And then, you know, at the very end of Heat... You know, he's just like, yeah, no it's words. not the final frame, but he just takes his breath where it's just like, but it would have it, ruined the movie to the have same. dialogue. It's just, it's just, it's all in the expressions. Yeah. It's yeah. pure cinema. So I, I, it, it's, I think heat is so Melville esque, even though apparently it's not, but it is, you know, so yeah, I could, I, I could go on forever about heat, but, um, final words, Mr. Kata. Look, you know, it's 25 years later and I was an eighth grader and now I'm almost 40. You know, and it's it's funny how these these movies have just taken on a life of their own, and they've influenced so many audiences since then. And they're massively enjoyable. If they're on TV; you can't turn them off. Uh, no matter how you felt about either one of them when they came out, you know, at this point they've stood, you know, somewhat of a test of time. And for a long time, it was the last movie that Scorsese and De Niro made together. And for a long time, it was the only great movie that De Niro and Pacino appeared in together in the same screen, you know, like, <laughs> you know? so, so in a way, 
you know, it's you know, it's nice to, you know, to be able to, you know, to think about these. You know, I didn't have to be watch them to come on here and talk about them. They're just so ingrained. I, I made in myself because I just want to see what does forty four year old Jaime think about these flicks. And... You know, but I watch them, you know, enough. I mean, I'm also I'm a notorious rewatcher. And yeah. there will be nights where I'll, you know, just be like, you know what, I really want to watch the shootout. Or, you know what, I really want to watch the scene of them in the diner. Totally. Or, you know what, I want to revisit the can't you hear me knocking thing. Or, you know what, I want to, uh, you know, the House of the Rising Sun killing at the end. Or just, you know, or, or even just laugh at the, the scene where De Niro wants to have the equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. It's like, do you realize how much time that's going to take? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's fucking incredible. You know? And... That's one of the great De Niro rages because uh, the the smaller the issue, like the more delicious the rage becomes, you know. <laughs> and 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 really, you know, looking at Casino and Joe Pesci in it, and just how, you know, how sinister he is in this, and it's very similar. Well, I think he's more evil in in Goodfellas as opposed to this. You know, sure, for, you know, he's definitely more. He's more fun in this. He's more evil in, in Goodfellas, I think. Oh, I don't think he's. I mean, in a, I mean, this in a messed up way. He's he's fine in Goodfellas, but Goodfellas but, he's just feels so dangerous. And so when he kills Spider, yeah, that's a point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, and 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 at least you know. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. And at least yeah, you know that fun. Nikki Santoro's fucking Tommy DeVito doesn't fuck anybody in that movie. Yeah. You know? And oh, um, yeah, and that scene when Nikki Santor takes the girl to the to go to like show in the kitchen and the, uh, yeah, and he takes her out yeah. to show her the veal. Yeah, like you know that's funny, classic. You know, twenty twenty get, get a little get you canceled get at this point. Absolutely, but it also really just makes me appreciate Joe Pesci's work in The Irishman that much more, and just how how special that was. Yeah, and, well, and here's uh, the deal: because of our age, I think our generation is uniquely equipped to celebrate the 90s and I think the 80s has everything that can be said about the 80s has been said at this point and I've talked about this with uh, Bill Scurry as well it's time to really start shining a light on just how interesting the 90s were from an independent scene farm yeah. film scene big Hollywood scene but I, it's time to really start giving the 90s their due and I did Agreed. it with like, the naughty 90s nostalgia episode with Bill Scurry but I really want to start calling attention to just how good this decade was so anytime y'all want to talk 90s cinema whether it's for an anniversary or not I am your guy because I feel like the 90s haven't even begun to get their due yeah. that they deserve. Just, well, I, 1999 like we were, alone. I mean, look, the 90s, that was peak Todd Haynes. I mean, we're going to talk about another guy that's like my guy. It's like what a run, you know, yeah. like like in the 90s that Todd Haynes had. And he was he was part of that kind of like there's the LG, there's the queer cinema. There's the in American indie cinema. There's like the kind of commercially art house like he was part of that whole like the Todd Haynes the the Hal Hartley he was just kind of like the top of that class you know what I mean there, there's so much in the 90s Todd Solon you know like Welcome to the Dollhouse just made his career and then it's he the, followed it's, up with happiness it's such a you know transgressive I mean? decade in ways that makes 2020 that you don't even realize so at first quaint and risk Buffalo 66 was 98 but then you're also looking at PTA coming on the scene with Boogie exactly. Nights and Magnolia and exactly. you know Rushmore you know and Bottle Rocket before it with Wes I mean those, yeah. I mean the, and and those are the movies that most people will point to and go those are the movies that I like and those are the, the movies that has allowed those guys to sustain an audience all this time regardless of how you feel about There Will Be Blood or Tannenbaum's or the you know those or the Grand Budapest Hotel or whatever like those are the movies that 
you know, that captured that audience and yeah. that captured a moment for, you know. And you had old timers from the 70s like Scorsese or Woody Allen or William Friedkin or whomever still doing good stuff. So I just feel like the 90s is underrated and so, and that we've all got podcasts and platforms and whatnot. Let's fucking start giving some 90s shout outs. I, I completely agree wholeheartedly. Cool. Well, anybody want to promote anything before we wrap things up? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like between podcast appearances, my own podcast, as well as just like my regular tweeting of movie comparisons, like I, I shout out to your Charles Burnett episode. Oh, thank yeah, yeah that, that was really good. That, that was like that. a year in the making. Um, yeah, so that was really yeah. Check out episode one forty with uh, Charles Burnett. Um, but I still re- super regularly update my writing on Pillin Empire. There's still I took my time with some. I immediately wrote about a couple of things from TIFF that you know finished last month, but now. There were more special films that I needed to think about for a couple of weeks, and I've written about them. So I just wrote about uh, this Mexican film, Fauna, which it's only 72 minutes long, but it's it's really unique. It's like a condensed, subdued version of Soderbergh's Schizopolis. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I it's, love it, Schizopolis. It, it, it's, it's, it's weird. Another 90s gem. Exactly. Sod- oh, gosh. Soderbergh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So check out PillinEmpire.com. Oh, I, up, if you, you know, up, up right now, it'll be there for a while. The School of Tarkovsky part 26 is up so, that, so that's how long i've been doing that whole series so make sure check out zebras in america zebras in america at pinland underscore empire but pinlandempire.com i'm still putting up writing all the time so mr kato you just had a starring role in a prestigious short film in new york you want to promote your, your appearance <laughs> no and the upcoming film no opening, i mean it was a walk on we really weren't supposed to talk about it no um <laughs> No, not really. No, I. I mean, I will. I will plug. You know, the radio show that I'm producing with with Neil Sadaka. For those of you that don't know, I've been Neil's producer for about a decade at this point, and uh, we have a monthly radio show on Sirius XM 50s on Five called "In the Key of Neil." Uh, this month's episode is about songs uh, from the UK that either influenced him or um, you know was part of you know. It has something to do within the legacy of Neil's career. Next month, we have a really special doo-wop episode that I was able to get. Uh, we're, we're playing Summertime, Summertime by the Jamies, and I got Neil quoting Harvey Keitel and Finger saying that it's the most God musically damn. inventive song of wow. 1958. I love that movie. Wow. It's the greatest. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done, just to have him wow. say that. Harvey Keitel says that it's the most musically invented song in 1958. The 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 connection between the two of them though is that they're from the same part of Brooklyn and they went to high school together. I fucking love Fingers, but oh, shit. James Toback so. is uh, radioactive, so people won't talk about him. But I no love matter, that. No movie. matter what people might think about James Toback, Fingers is a fucking masterpiece. And, I, and as, as, as a heads up, I was with Rob. This was a long time ago. I was with <laughs> Rob when I I got to ask. I, I wanted to suggest. I know everyone has a jerk reaction to a remake. But a great remake that comes with the director's approval, minus the ending, he said, the beat that my heart skipped is such a great French kind of crime film, and it's a loose remake of, of Fingers. Uh, it's a semi-loose remake of Fingers that I definitely recommend. But watch Fingers first, no question. I caught Fingers on Turner Classic Movies at 2.15 at night at the beginning of the pandemic, and I stayed up the whole night watching it. And yeah, I don't blame it's me. just It's a thunderous movie. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's There's a lot going on. There's a lot going There's on, lot and going that's a movie that, that reveals movie. itself as you get older, too. Yeah. You know? Oh, like all the weird kinky sex shit toward the end, you're like, 
We're going yeah. into some strange <laughs> terrain here. Or you know, the or guy th- staring at him in the restaurant. Like, what is that about? Like, younger. It was like, why is he looking at? Yeah, him? It's no, like, right. oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right. you don't. Yeah, yeah, that's something you definitely can read into you know? as you get older. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating film. You know, or that line where he says to Tisa Ferry, he's like, well, what about that baby we just made? Like, yeah, my God, yeah. Yeah. like talk about the balls, you know, and <sighs> Harvey, it's just Harvey, and that's. We have to. That's peak Harvey. Well, Har- that's peak Harvey. Yeah, our options. I don't even know if we should do a best of 2020 because it's been such a shitty fucking year. But it, y'all are welcome anytime I, to, got, do our, our we have to do our career. I've, I've, I've got. I've, well, we I've got, got, I've got a top got 10, my, but yeah. top 10 of 2019 was like, fuck yeah. It's like fucking Scorsese and Terrence Malick and that's Tarantino. True. And this year it's and, like all yeah. the streaming. And now it's just like, yeah. I could put yeah. my top 10 list of shows. It's going to be just fine. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Steve McQueen's three of the top 10, like for me, like, you know. But I see the festival movies I already know for a fact I can't count. All that stuff will be released for people next year. You know? Yeah. And, and, which is, and they're going to consider that. It's not that, even some. some and they're going to consider that TV. It, some, yeah. So, you know, and I'll just go on record right now. If we're going to talk about current movies for just a quick second. I know that you reviewed the trial of Chicago seven. And if you've seen the trial of Chicago seven and you like it, Mangrove blows it out of the water. You want to see a great, great, great piece of art about protest. And I thought trial of Chicago was was fine, but I think if you want to look at Aaron Sorkin's writing, social network is his, for me, his peak and trial of Chicago seven falls in way under it. Sure. And, and, and as a movie, you know, let him stick to writing. I would love, he's a better writer. He's a a better writer than a director. And that's not to say that he's a bad director, No, but he needs Mike Nichols. He needs David Fincher. He needs all, he he has no visual sense. And again, that goes back to like, I'd say he's a layman's director at best, but he's obviously a very entertaining screenwriter. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what, that's where, you know, Mangrove just, Head and shoulders works so much more on such an emotional level. Not to say that there isn't some really great things in you know Chicago Seven, but it's also just tied to a moment now where, of course, you're going to feel something. But in terms of like a look or whatever, but also eh. it feels like a movie that was written in 2007, and it was. But I'd be much more excited to do an episode about Harvey Keitel because then we get a chance to talk about fingers in depth. And, and Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, Bad Lieutenant or fucking... Uh, the Duelists. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's some good ones. You know. <laughs> Talk about yeah. going for broke, man. <laughs> or Marcus and I, one of our yeah. favorite movies, Smoke. I mean... Yeah. And know. Blue in the Face, we not for nothing. To so. re- We're going to do this hard. cosplay the full frontal nudity scene from Bad Lieutenant. We'll pose oh, side man. by side, full <laughs> frontal nudity. We'll post it to Twitter. It'll set the internet on fire. I'm proud to say I'm bigger. <laughs> well we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up hope you enjoyed this episode definitely revisit heat and casino if you haven't seen them in a while and uh yeah look forward to recording with these gentlemen again again in the near future but you can always hunt me down on twitter facebook all those good places and if you need some more content hunt down my new uh well actually it's, it's not my new short film it's a short film that i licensed for my youtube channel called uh dead astronaut and be on the lookout for hobo with the high kick in the very near future on geeking with james hancock but we can't thank enough for listening we really appreciate it but more importantly as always onwards and upwards it ain't like it used to be but uh, it'll do You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow.